When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Ortiz fights it off center field. Damon running to the plate, and he can keep on running to New York. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. I can't circle. I don't have my telestrator today, but here comes a pizza. See it? This is our fucking city, and nobody gonna dictate our freedom. Stay strong. Welcome back to the New Redacted Podcast, America's most beloved podcast, the most downloaded Red Sox podcast in the world. And you know what? We do have a guest today. We do have Jemai Webster on the podcast today. And listen, I want I want to get into it with Jemai. I want to. Uh, continue our series of Clark's Ketchup Series MVP voter interviews. And that is going to continue today with Jemai Webster of Nesson. But Tyler, Jake, Jake as well. Before we get to Jemai, which at this point we have not recorded. We have not had Jemai yet. Like we're not jumping back to the future. Um, Red Sox fans right now are very upset. Red Sox fans are having a bad time. And I saw our our guy, Ed Hand, tweeted out the poll. Like, is this the most chaotic Red Sox Twitter? No, no. Stop being dramatic. This is not the most chaotic Red Sox Twitter has has been. Uh, I think after Mookie Betts, it was worse. After Xander, it was worse. And then, I mean, I know that you're you're kind of a pussy and you don't have any tattoos, Tyler. Uh, Excuse me? You heard what I said. Um, I could have a tattoo if I wanted to. It takes a man to have the strength not to get a tattoo. Right, 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 right. Uh, and then after JD went to the Dodgers, which like he was never coming back anyway. Uh, like The tattoo comparison is like when you get tattooed the first two hours, like say you get tattooed an hour three, it hurts way more than it should because it's an hour three. Like the, I think the JD thing. It hurt way more because it came after losing Xander. Like everyone's just like, oh, we lost another one. So it was way worse. I think last winter we were quick to forget that because um, I think people fell in love with Justin Turner and the emergence of Brian Bale and Tristan Casas. Like there were were Yoshida and Kenley and Chris Martin in that little stretch coming in. There were reasons to be like, all right, like, you know. I'm not, I'm not, I don't really miss Xander anymore. And JD, I'm happy for him, but we have Justin Turner. Like, yeah, like that didn't linger. But last winter, people were pissed. Are they pissed? Because like, so I was one of the most vocal people. I, I saw people like, not a lot. More people came at Steve because he's a fucking idiot. Like Steve, Steve's takes are fucking awful. They're just not good. I was upset about not getting Seth Lugo only because I was open about wanting him last trade deadline. Like it wasn't like the end of the world that the Red Sox didn't get Seth Lugo. And I didn't where, where I think where fans came at Steve for his awful take was he said like, Oh, they got outbid 
by the Royals. Whereas I was just like, ah, fuck, I wanted Seth Lugo. That's the difference. Because, yes, I did want Seth Lugo. Did I want to go north of $15 million for him? No. Like, eventually, like, every team should have their number. And how bad would it look if the Red Sox went to, like, fucking $20 million on 34-year-old Seth Lugo and then they didn't sign Yamamoto or Montgomery? It's like, well, at least we got Seth Lugo. Like, I, I think, ultimately, the Red Sox had a number. And they were smart enough to walk away when it got a little bit out of their price range. And it's not that they can't afford it. It's more just we have an evaluation on the player. He's this age. He's just turned into a starter last year. Like, I get it. I wanted Seth Lugo. Did I want to go north of $15 million in a three-year deal to get him? No, that's okay. It's more just you're frustrated that, like, he went to the Royals. You know, it's like... Fuck, man, is it really that bad over here that, you know, you wouldn't take a little bit less? Like, I know that you probably got the job security. Like, this is the, the one time that he can he can really cash in and get the money and the years. And I'm happy for Seth Lugo. I don't know him, but I'm happy for him. Like, it, it's a it's a long career to get that bag. Uh, but as a Red Sox fan, you're like, fuck, man, like, was the situation over here not sweet enough to where you could be like, all right, I'll take a little bit less. If you give me three years, like I'll take a little bit less to come there, whatever. But no, he, he's, he's a royal. And that's OK. It's OK. Hey, it's OK. Yeah. You would have got both ends of it yesterday. If the Red Sox handed out, because I think MLB trade rumors, they had them at 342. It came out to 345. It's all relative. If they signed Seth Lugo, you would have got a huge army of people saying, you guys signed fucking Seth Lugo when you were talking about Brian Bayo being your number three starter this year. That's what you call full throttle, you fucking clowns. That would have been going crazy since the Red Sox were in that conversation and being connected to Lugo. But what it really comes down to, and you kind of touched on it, Jared, is the frustration building and people starting to panic. Because when you look at the Red Sox and you say, and you tweeted this out yesterday, I tweeted it out, you know, we haven't looked at the Yamamoto sweepstakes as something that's even somewhat likely. We're hoping, we're all dying, praying. You know, we got a slightly positive update from Lou last night and we'll get to that. Mm. But when it feels like Yamamoto's unlikely, when it seems like the Red Sox, according to reporting, aren't interested in rentals, they're stepping away. So, you know, we're watching Tyler Glass now that deal with the Dodgers is up in the air right now. The Shane Bieber's the Corbin Burns. All right. Well, you're crossing some of those guys off. OK, when you're saying I don't really want anyone with the QO attached. OK, well, Blake Snell, goodbye. You start to freak out a little bit. And then there comes the kind of connection to Marcel Meyer, Roman Anthony, and Kyle Teal, which we've heard they are kind of hesitant to deal in, you know, a major package. So you start going down the list here, and it's like, how many ways are there for the Red Sox to go full throttle to be this World Series contender and, you know, the whole vibe completely shift? There's not a ton. It feels more likely like, all right, is it Jordan Montgomery and another piece? All right, that's fine. But that's where the acceptance, I think, is coming from some people that yeah, the idea that Brian Bayo was going to be your number three starter, it doesn't feel super likely right now. No. Well, all right. Before we move on from Seth Lugo, this, this is what I tweeted yesterday. I said, well, first of all, I tweeted July 27th. We had the, con- me and you were, we both liked Lugo. I remember the conversation on the podcast. July 27th, 2023. I've talked myself into wanting the Red Sox to trade for Seth Lugo. Yesterday. If the Red Sox told us they were going full throttle this winter and all we end up with is Tyler O'Neill and Seth Lugo, I'm not sure my mental health will ever recover. But then it goes back to the point that I was trying to make here because someone tweeted me and they were like, people are actually upset we didn't sign Seth Lugo. I'm crying with the laughing emoji. 
So I said, it's just time to be realistic. The odds of the Red Sox signing Yamamoto are what, 5%? And even then, the Red Sox need Yamamoto and Jordan Montgomery and. And that's kind of the point. Are, like, are you talking three starting pitchers when you said and, or do you mean like, oh, they need another right-handed bat? No, no, no. I'm saying like you need, like if you were going to get Yamamoto, then you need a, a Seth Lugo. If yes. you're going to get Jordan Montgomery, you still need a Seth Lugo type, like a Michael Walker, whatever, like that tier of guys. So I think the order of it is what would have made fans go nuts, right? Like if if the Red Sox signed Seth Lugo, then yeah, you need a guy like that for the middle of the rotation, but fans would have just freaked out and been like, oh, great, like we're out on Yamamoto now because we signed Seth Lugo. But it, it, ideally what would have happened is you would have signed Jordan Montgomery you know, today, and then you sign Seth Lugo in three days. Like it's, it's, it's like, oh man, like they didn't just stop at Montgomery, you know, because I've heard plenty of fans say, and I get it, and I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you if you feel this way. Jordan Montgomery doesn't move the needle for me. If you're a fan that is now apathetic towards this team, you can't get up for this Red Sox team. You're not excited. You're not enthused. I don't think that there's many, if any. It, I think you honestly, you might have some fucking real issues with the wiring of your brain if you're excited for this season right now, today, uh, July, December 13th, 2023. If you're amped about the 2024 Boston Red Sox, there's something like you, uh, you, you belong in like Waco, like one of those fucking like cults where you're just the most easily brainwashed people. Those are the people that are excited about the 2024 Boston Red Sox. Everyone else, how you're feeling, frustrated, all that, a hundred percent valid. It's all valid. Like I'm not excited. Like I wasn't asked to do winter weekend. If I was, I would probably say no. Like, wow. I, I don't want to, I don't want to go up there. Like if they don't make a big move, Oh, they're going to get booed last again. year was bad. You thought yes. last year. Oh God. Like, you better I, step I don't want to fuck. I don't want to go up there and, and have people just boo the fuck out of everyone. It's awkward. It's like, you might get I, killed. I want to have fun again. And, and there is a very clear line between entitled, spoiled brat fan. If you're sitting there saying Yamamoto or it's a failure of an offseason, that's the spoiled, entitled fan. Like there is a path to a good offseason. And that's kind of what I landed on yesterday. After everyone kind of calmed down a little bit about Seth Lugo going to the Royals, I said, listen, I get it. Like I'm frustrated too. I miss seeing breaking news or something related to the Red Sox and being like, holy fuck, they did it. Like, I missed that as well. But is there a path to the Red Sox having a good offseason if Yamamoto signs with the Dodgers or the Mets or the Yankees? The answer is yes. It may not get your dick hard. Like, if it's if it's Jordan Montgomery via free agency, they put together a trade package for a George Kirby or something like that. Whoa, they that... That gets my dick hard. I'm sorry. If you're trading for a George Kirby or something like that. I don't know that that gets everyone's dick hard. But that's You would just, be trading major prospects. That would be a true frontline starter you're going to get. Deal. Blockbuster deal. 100%. But I feel like Yamamoto is the buzzword. If you don't get Yamamoto, then you're unserious franchise and this and that. Like, I don't want to be around the bad vibes of that winter weekend event if they don't do anything. If it is January 20, whatever the fuck it is, 20, 21st, 20 something, if it's around that time, I, I mean, that might be the first one that I just voluntarily do not go to 
because I'm just going to be walking around the whole time having stopping chats with pissed off Red Sox fans that are like, what the fuck's happening? And like, you know, you don't want to talk about that because it's, it's more than just a job to me. Like it's more than just a job to you and Jake. We genuinely care. Like, do you think I want to answer the same question 500 times in Springfield? Why aren't the Red Sox doing anything? Like, do they even care anymore? What, what's going on? Full throttle. Is, what happened yeah, to that? Is, is this Heim 2.0? What do you think about Craig Breslow? Why isn't he doing anything? You know, wh- wh- where's John Henry at? Why is why is he posting pictures in Miami when Steve Cohen's flying to Japan to meet with Yamamoto? Like, I don't want to answer those questions because none of this has to do with me. None of this has to do with anything that like I don't have control over the situation. I don't I don't get the opportunity to fly to fucking Japan and meet, meet with Yamamoto. Jake, Jake has done more to recruit Yamamoto to the Boston Red Sox, perhaps than the own owner of the Boston Red Sox. That might be true. That might be a factual statement. So I get it. And I think as far as like communication goes with the fan base and like letting them know how I feel, hearing how they feel, like I, it's a wide open door. It's a wide open door. I'm with you. I am also frustrated, but I have not thrown my hands up and said it can't happen. It's there's no way they're going to have a good offseason. Well, like th- that's the PTSD, though, right? Like that's the last couple off seasons of you coming out of the winter meetings and kind of being in this spot where like, you know, you can't really look at yourself and say, oh, they're easily a contender or anything like that. And people like, damn, it's already December 13th. Like the off seasons I remember under like a Dombrowski, they got to work and they got to work quickly. By this time back then, you're like, oh, all right, I see the vision. Like this all makes sense. They're pouring money. They're making deals. This is a slow bleed, and that's where you can relate Craig Breslow to Heim Bloom, where it's like they're keeping a lot of avenues open. They're not forcing deals. They're kind of seeing where things go. And I think that's where people are at right now, where they're like, it just feels all too familiar. It's just you can't jump that far when we know the market has stalled even more than past years because of Yamamoto, because of Otani previously. And then the trade market as a whole, who knows if they feel Maybe come that time after a Montgomery goes off the board. And even if it's if it's here, maybe they kind of step up in one of those directions and things change. But you can't completely jump off the ship. But if I'm being honest and I'm being real and I'm watching people get nervous and worried, no, it's hard to argue or say anything to them. Because at the end of the day, the Yankees are going hard as fuck. And if it's not going to be Yamamoto, they already added Soto. They're going to go get something else. The Orioles are going to be even better than they were this past year. The Blue Jays, they're fucking fuming. They're embarrassed after the Otani thing. They felt like they got played in front of everybody at school. And then you have the Rays who they're going to deal glass now, but the Rays are going to be hard to deal with just in general it becomes harder and harder to look at this year and say, why is this year going to be any different than the past couple bridge years? And then people will go, where's the bridge lead to? You know, it does. It's not a bridge if it doesn't lead to anything. All right. Yeah, I, I'm not going to disagree with you. But the financial landscape and baseball is changing. Look around the Dodgers, the Yankees. They don't give a fuck about the luxury tax anymore. Yankees no. are going on their third year in a row. The Dodgers, infinite luxury tax. Fuck the world. Well, all right. The system the Red Sox have been operating under. It no longer really adds up or makes much sense. So are you going to sit at the big boy table with the Yankees, the Dodgers and the Mets? Or are you going to continue to operate on this old this old kind of format that you justified the last five years with? Yeah, I'm not this. It's a weird feeling because I feel like we haven't been here before. I feel like we haven't been here before. I'm going to try and lay out exactly where it is. I think that I am or where we should be as as a whole, because um, it it is a nation divided for sure. Uh, there there are p- 
people who are angry. I don't know that I'm seeing, I don't know that I'm seeing a ton of, and trust me, I'm not going to try and sell you on some bullshit. I don't know that I'm seeing much, if any, optimism. Like they're oh very I, little yeah I think the the crowd where it's like come on man like you're overreacting like be paid like that crowd has dissipated immensely uh, I, I there's an angry mob which made they're not super rational like the angry mob they don't think that there's any chance the Red Sox can do something this offseason. then there's the crowd where I think I belong to where it's like you're pissed you're fed up you're frustrated but like you can at least see the path. And because it's Breslow's first year, you're thinking like, all right, like there's no way they fired Heim to bring in someone else to then do the same shit. Like, what is the point of that? Well, and that's where you're getting some of the interesting crossover of the people who have been in the Heim camp, right? Over the last couple of years that preached that patience and kind of said it again and again. Now they're turning and they're saying, well, you all this talk, like one time got let out, you were letting leaks out left and right that he couldn't make the big deal that really he was in the way a lot of the times of you being able to be the Boston Red Sox, not overthinking decisions and, you know, worrying about Trevor Story's deal and Yoshida, the money he handed out. Well, even those people are now like, well, what the fuck's going on here? Because you just got your Hunter Renfro, your Adam Duvall and Tyler O'Neill, right? Like you're adding a lot of pitching depth on the outside. And, you know, a lot of people would probably tell you you know, if you're just being honest, the Alex Verdugo trade probably reminded them of the Andrew Benatendi trade, right? Like you could draw some interesting similarities. I would say, well, I don't think Bloom would have made that deal with the Yankees after what happened with Jeffrey Springs and that trauma. Uh, you know, thinking you had a pitcher that had something special, goes to Tampa, breaks out and is one of the more interesting pitchers in baseball before having Tommy John. But you're getting some of that crowd now. And I don't know, I would have never expected as much rage yesterday after that Seth Lugo whole signing. And I think it's just because a lot of people, very quick reactions, very quick to just be like, yeah. damn it. Like, what the fuck is going on? All I wanted was like, just give me something. And I'm yeah. I'm not at the point yet where it's like, just give me something. I'm not far. But some people are starving. They're ready to eat even the roadkill oh. off the road. I, I am starving, Tyler. <laughs> I am. I am starving. No, but like you said, if you overpaid for Seth Lugo, you would be like, all right, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like you're I'm not sitting there like, within I don't reason. give a fuck. I'm starving it, within too. reason. Let me ask you this question. And it's not based on anything. I'm just asking. Okay. What would your reaction be? And this is not, let me, this is not scoop shop. I'm just asking. It's been quiet in the scoop shop lately, man. <laughs> Dead quiet. <laughs> People keep asking me, they're like, Can, is there anything going on in the scoop shop? I'm like, brother, nothing. Crickets. No scoops to be found. Nothing. All right. What if I told you the Red Sox can sign Yamamoto, but you're going to have to give up uh, 10 years, 350 to do it? Are you going oh. to 350? Yep. Okay. Don't even have to think about it. Right. Sorry. Okay. I, I think the deal at this point, like, I, I think the conversation, if you just want to be grown and have it, it's 300 million. I, I think the way this conversation is going, and that's another 50 million in posting fees, but. With the Dodgers and everything they've done with the luxury tax situation, they're bringing out Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, and Otani. They mean fucking business. And I'm not telling you that's the, you know, that means he's going to go there or anything like that, but that shows how serious they are. The Yankees, all the shit they've been leaking to the media the last month about, you know, the number bullshit, how badly they want him, him plus Soto. If I see Yama Soto on my friggin' timeline one more time, I'm going to friggin' jump off a bridge. I can't do it anymore. It drives me insane. I have it muted. 
That's how much it was bugging me. And that doesn't include Steve Cohen, who, you know, wasted some time flying across, you know, across the world to have a meeting with Yamamoto and his family. Kodai Senga's family was there, I believe, as well. So, like, there's a lot of people very heavily invested. Like, the Mets, they're going to sit there if they miss out, out on him. There's going to be so much outrage towards that whole front office and what they got going on. There's a lot on the line involving this guy. People are going to go to whatever friggin' links they need to. And that's why Ken Rosenthal was kind of saying it today. It's not going to be money that really decides this at the end of the day. It, th- yes and no. Yeah, you got to be there. You, you got to give him what he's worth. He's not but, taking a pay cut to go where he's going, but he does. But everyone's have, giving him it. Yeah, he's got he's got a specific list. And who knows? Tyler? He's 25. Like, he's 25. That's it. It's like I'm 25. I'm one of the greatest pitchers on the friggin planet. It's yeah. that simple. You got to give me my money. But anyone with a friggin brain that has the ability to will be trying to be at that table, giving him that offer. Yeah. And I think, you know. When you start to hear certain things about big name free agents, what they want from their landing spot, and it starts to get down into like every, every fuck. It just happens every time that there's a big name free agent. Oh, they prefer the West Coast or, oh, he wants to sign with his hometown team or, oh, he's looking for this amount of money. Like how often do those things really get in the way? Because I remember Garrett Cole preferring the West Coast. I remember that. Like, I remember like plenty, like, like Albert Pujols. I remember him signing with the Miami Marlins. You remember that? He got like a 12 year deal with the Miami Marlins and then it didn't happen. Like there are plenty of examples of big name free agents. And it's like, yeah, they want to go down South Beach. You know, like, oh, this guy, he wants to play in for like he he grew up a Dodger fan. He wants to play for the Dodgers. And then and it, like that shit doesn't matter. So when I start to hear things about this Yamamoto situation, right, where he's got a very not unreasonable, but like he's got a specific, you know, list of things that he would like in his free agent destination. Is that fair to say, Tyler? Yeah, yeah as he he's, should. He has requirements. They're not, they're not. It's it's yeah. Like he knows what he wants. I almost uh, w- with uh, what Yamamoto is asking for from free agent destination teams. I almost respect it more than the guys that are like, yeah, I'm going wherever. Whoever gives me that. like Javi Baez. You think he wants to be in fucking Detroit? No, that's who gave him the most Hell money. No. Like Yamamoto has a list of things where it's like, I want this, I want this, and I want this. Plus fair market value, which is going to be a fuck ton of money. Like we entered this offseason thinking he's going to get what, 200 million? I mean, it was like, added, yeah, too. He added 150 million to his value just from taking a shit in <laughs> like the last. Because that's what you realize when there's nothing you have to give up. This is the cheat code. This is the actual cheat code. If you can't develop pitching, you can't, you know, you're dying for that starter to anchor you. He's the cheat code. When, when is the last time? The answer is probably never. When is the last time an ace pitcher hit free agency at 25 and didn't have uh, a draft pick compensation uh, or. What did I just fucking say? The draft pick compensation. Is that where you were going? A compensation draft pick. Why did yes. I fucking get that backwards? I don't know. I don't. The know Red Sox are frying your brain. Listen, a compensation draft pick attached to him? Never. The answer is probably never. Like I don't know who that person was. Twenty-five years old. You'd have to come up to the big leagues at what? Eighteen? Yeah. You'd have to be Juan Soto. That's the comp. Yeah. Like if you want to hit free agency at that same age range, you're Juan Soto. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't. Like the only person you can kind of compare it to, like 
at least in terms of what's going to happen over the next couple of years is Roki Sasaki. Like that's really the only guy and he may hit it, you know, a little bit younger, like what Tanaka, I think was like 27, 26, right in that range. He's 35 right now. He signed in 2014. So like whatever, that's nine years ago, 26, 27. Yamamoto goes even beyond what Tanaka was doing over there. And I know Tanaka is his mentor and everything. The guy he kind of based a lot of his mechanics and stuff off of. But man, this is a cheat code for a team, especially like the Red Sox. All the pitching pipeline problems, all those things that have put you in the spot you are in today, just via money, no prospects, nothing else. You could give the biggest, biggest improvement, the biggest shot in the back to that with the Brian Bayou. It's perfect, but it's perfect for every other organization that has the money. Yeah. I, 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 so I obviously, I see the Heyman reports about, um, the, the top three finalists, the Dodgers, the Mets and the Yankees and the Red Sox are just these fucking peasants or whatever. At least they keep continuing no matter what I've yet to like, you know, Ken Rosenthal put out his piece on potential suitors today. At least the Red Sox were on that list. Like the Cubs are getting left off at this point. It feels like you're in there. It just feels like, yeah, you're a little more on the outside than that inside favorite group. Yeah. But I think the reasons why. I think the reasons why. The Dodgers, Mets and Yankees. Are more favorable landing spots for Yamamoto than the Red Sox, at least to these big name writers is because of their recent history of spending big. Like, I guess the Red Sox gave Devers 300 and something million dollars, but like the Yankees went big on Judge, Rodon. They put their nuts on the tail for Soto. Like they are active and aggressive over the last couple of years. The Mets, I mean, they didn't bring in Steve Cohen to, to lower the payroll. And then you have the Dodgers that just gave $700 million to Shohei Otani. So I get why those are the top three. The Red Sox are not giving you a reason to think that they are. It's almost like they're they're a, a dormant volcano. Like they've spent big money before. They've put their nuts on the, on the table before many times. Like they have outbid teams by a lot to get their guy. David Price, for example. Like the Cardinals were what, 180? They're yeah, like, they're boom, like, hey, here's 25. <laughs> yeah, fucking highest paid pitcher in baseball history. Nuts on the table. Dave Dombrowski. So that is my estimation why the Red Sox aren't in that top three. It's because you've got three active volcanoes and you have one dormant one. And that's the Red Sox. The Red Sox are a dormant volcano. I don't know what, like to what we were just saying. Like, What more do you need? What other box do you need to check? If you're ever going to spend big money again, and here's why the, the Red Sox fans that are frustrated right now are not wrong. Because when Mookie Betts was traded, we had to fucking sit there and take it. Like, hey, guys, you know, we spent a, a ton of money, but you got 2018 out of it, right? That's worth it. We sold our soul to the devil for 2018. We spent all this money, and here we are. World Series champs winning his team in Red Sox franchise history. And but, then we sat there and took it when you said that Xander Endeavors were going to be here for, you know, the foreseeable future. We sacrificed Mookie so you don't have to worry about these. Not saying you should have gave Xander that contract, but the build up to that when you could have paid him correctly. We also ate that shit, too. Yeah. Yep. So and I they, think. But I'm just saying, like, they traded Mookie with David Price's contract. Because that's a big factor that everyone kind of leaves out in the narrative. It wasn't just because, you know, when you look at the return that Soto gets for one year, you're like, 
we didn't we didn't get that from Mookie. Well, the Dodgers had to take on half of David Price's contract along with the Mookie Betts part of that trade. So that's why the return wasn't as good. Still not an excuse. Still a huge fat L. Like we can we can sit here and chalk that up as maybe the biggest L in Red Sox history since Babe Ruth was trading Mookie Betts and getting Alex Verdugo and Connor Wong and fucking uh, what's the other fucking idiot? Jeter name? Downs. Jeter Downs. DFA'd uh, recently again. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's a massive, massive L. Uh, and I don't I mean, it, it's going to take decades to, to to live that down. Like Mookie Betts is going to have to be retired and the Red Sox will have had to have won at least three championships since he left to to dig themselves out of that one at this point. But as the fan base, we were told we're going to trade Mookie Betts. We need to get under this luxury tax. We need to reset. And this is how we do it. OK, cool. All right. That sucks. I'm pissed. I'm sad. I'm angry. But okay, whatever. Every other so, team was doing it at the time. Like, all right, I can comprehend it. They weren't trading their franchise players. No, but, but in terms of functioning with the, the Dodgers luxury tax. The Dodgers did it. Yes. Like the teams were doing it. Yankees uh, in 21. The Dodgers, they were under in 2020. Yeah. They got teams, lucky when Price opted out. So teams were doing this. Fine. Then we're sold on, you know, we're, we're, we're taking a step back. We're taking two steps back so we can take a giant leap forward. And it was... To, to my estimation, correct me if I'm wrong. 2024 was the target year, right? I not, think it I'm, would... not, I'm not saying I'm not saying the World Series year. I'm saying 2024 was the the winter to to spend. You like you mean when Heimblum got here, like they were looking to 2024? Yeah. Oh no, I think it was even sooner than that. I, I really do. You and think I, it was sooner? I think that's why he doesn't have a job right now here. I think because they thought they were going to be further along. I, I still think realistically, and like I stand by this. I said it after 2021. If you handled that offseason correctly with Kevin Gosman, there's no reason this team couldn't have made that jump to be like the Dodgers or anything like that. Instead, they chose to kind of step and tiptoe that luxury tax line and they paid for it to such a sincere and significant level when they fucked up the trade deadline that year and stayed over. That yeah. set them back another year. The truth is, you were supposed to leap forward in a major way going into 2022. 2021, you stay under the luxury tax. I defended it then. I'll defend it now. It made sense where you were. And yes, you went far. You went to the ALCS. When you went into 2022 and you let Kevin Gosman walk, you never made him a fucking call, and he goes to your division rival, that's what ate your ass. When you sign Trevor Story and say what you will, he didn't work out. He wasn't giving you what you needed and you were playing fucking Christian Arroyo and Jackie Bradley Jr. in right field. And a year after you were in the ALCS, you were in the ALCS, man. You were that close to going to the World Series. That failure, that step back and then doubling down, it cost you all of 2023. And we acknowledged, you know what? That was a failure. But we hoped going into 2023, once again, the convo was going to change. Well, yeah. then Xander walked and they said, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this this year. We're going to probably have to walk that line one more time. All right, I guess Bloom doesn't handle the deadline in the way people like. Now he's out. This offseason, you're like, fuck, man. How many times are you going to push it off? Like, th this is two different times now. We've waited through miserable, tough seasons when we should have been up in that upper echelon again a long time ago. You should have been in that conversation in 2022 moving forward. Yet, you fucked it up. Yeah. Yeah, that's Bloom's biggest failure. It really Bloom's is biggest not failure. Failure was not getting under the fucking luxury tax in yeah. 2022. 
Yeah. And I said it that day and I, I was a high bloom guy. You, if you asked him right now, point blank, what was why do you think you lost your job? He would probably go back to that trade deadline in 2022. A hundred percent, because yeah. everyone in the world, like anyone with the brain, when we were doing that podcast and we were talking, I remember, you know, I was like, yeah, I think Christian Vasquez is going to get traded to Houston and JD will be flipped for, you know, money just so they can get under the shock I had that next day. Just absolute disbelief. And anyone who was paying attention in baseball was like, how the fuck do you think you're still in the conversation? If you're just being realistic with your roster, yet they doubled down on it and they were out of it within two weeks. It was bad. It was bad. What do you think also, of Tyler O'Neill? Tyler O'Neill, baby! T-Dog! T-Dog! One of the, wait, he, he... So I don't want to like... I see the, the you know, the wait, before we get into Tyler O'Neill, I just want to say, I, I need to correct something from last episode because I... I shared a story. Uh, I get. I didn't go back and listen to it, so I don't even know what exactly I said. But it was we were talking about Alex Verdugo, and one of the stories about him like going back to the hotel to buy chains after he got ejected from that game in Houston. Yeah, you said he met up with like his jeweler or whatever, right? Yeah, the way that it was explained to me was that he left sooner than he should have, but. I, I, I mean, I, I wasn't there. I don't know, but uh, there's a second version of that story where it was after, so it wasn't as it wasn't a, d- a big deal at all. I, I hate to say it because I know there there's certain people uh, in this space that don't want to admit Alex Verdugo ever did anything wrong. Man, the issues are a lot bigger than that. <laughs> like I hate to say it, that, that, that's just a bullet point on it. How about you show up on time for fucking games when your season's on the line? That, yeah. That's really what I have a problem with. I think it was Lou that made this point on radio, but because fans were like, "Really, you're gonna bench him for being late?" and blah blah blah. And Lou made the point, and it's very obvious, but it didn't register in my brain until he said it. You don't get benched for being late the first time. Nope. Like that has to be something where it's like, man, because at the time, like that series against Toronto, that like you ruined the season. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like a big. That was a big series. That was like a, a tipping point for the entire season. So if Alex is benching Verdugo during that series. For being late, there were had to have been other things that he was doing that was pissing off Cora. Like, there's no way you just get benched for a first time offense. Uh, you know, we've had a this, series. Yeah, we, we've had this conversation. I don't want to get too deep into it because I'm not a Verdugo hater. You can listen to the friggin podcast going into this year, how I felt about Alex Verdugo. I like the guy. I appreciated the guy. But at the end of the day, when you show up to spring training, you say you want to be a leader. You want an extension. You want all these different things. You're a new guy. You want to be one of the faces of this franchise. Cool. You need to act like it. And guess what? He did the first two months. And then he completely just fell apart as the year went along. Starts dropping that seven weeks comment. All those different things. The reporting's there. There were teammates in Alex Cora. Alex Cora was looking to move him. He made it clear to the front office, according to reports. There were players in that clubhouse who were good with Alex Verdugo. They, they just were kind of over it. Well, at the end of the day, say what you will. Oh, you know, you don't know exactly what he was doing or whatever it may be. The guys in the clubhouse were good. The manager was good. And on the field, he was horrendous down the stretch. As he was counting the weeks down to the end of the year. What else do you want? 
Like at the end of the day, it's about accountability and culture. And if you're going to give a guy a freaking contract, if you're going to honor it and say, hey, this is someone we want to be here long term. Well, they need to carry those values. They need to kind of be that Boston Red Sox player that you want the young guys on the roster to follow. Like we looked at Dustin Pedroia. You know what I mean? Like we looked at Xander Bogarts, the guys we gave so much credit who got even more credit, maybe beyond what they always did on the field. We held them to an even higher status because of what they were off the field. Yeah. Alex Verdugo didn't give it to you on the field, and he certainly didn't give it to you off the field. No. No. But again, I'm not I'm not trying to slander the dude on the way out. <clears throat> I did want to provide that context to that story because I again I, I should that I should have gone back and listened to exactly what it was that I said. Um but yeah, I guess it was the chains were after. I don't know. You can say it's a bad look or not. I mean, the dude's just buying jewelry. I don't know. Whatever. All right. So Tyler O'Neill gets traded to the Red Sox. And uh, did someone someone pointed out that when we had Lou Merloni on that he mentioned trading for a right handed hitting outfielder that could play defense? Yeah. Like he, he said that with us. Yeah, he definitely mentioned it with us. And I, I think Tyler O'Neill, like amongst Red Sox fans, like, if you know, when you get to that point of like, you know, October, November, the last couple of years when the Red Sox aren't playing, he's been a name that's been kind of floated out there as someone who can make sense because let's yeah. be real, when you got Adam Duvall, it was that kind of profile after and he's been having these, you know, a little bit of a disconnect with the Cardinals over the years between the logjam, Ollie Marmol this past year. Like, he always felt like the kind of guy that would make sense. Now that was under Bloom. Now we see it under Breslow as well. Yeah, I uh, and God bless him. One of my best friends in the entire world. Jimmy Stewart was stir- stirring the pot big time on this one. I, I saw that clip where he, I mean, because he he's he knows what he's doing. He is a he's a wrestling fan after all, and he was pulling a heel move, trying to work the crowd by saying they traded Alex Verdugo, an outfielder, to get an outfielder who also has what. Hustling issues. He got benched for hustling issues. No, it's like I'm sorry. I even I remember watching the Tyler O'Neill clip, and it doesn't even look like he wasn't hustling. Dude, like he the, was hustling. Like, yeah, the Cardinals are going not, hard. Yeah. Like there is a vast difference between the behavioral issues of Alex Verdugo and Tyler O'Neill. Like, question: Did Tyler O'Neill get benched for not hustling? Answer: Yes. In the example in which he was benched for, was he actually not hustling? Debatable. I, I say he was he was running just he was running a hell of a lot faster than Alex Verdugo was for the times that he got benched. Um and like when it happened, people were criticizing Ollie Marmol heavily, saying, Could this be the move? And they were having clubhouse issues that existed throughout the year. That was like one of their big, like crucial points where people were like, damn, man, like, is this going to turn into something even bigger where, you know, a couple months from now he loses his job. We're going to look at this as the big moment. Yeah. You know, like I mean, that was one of the ugly spots of that entire season for the Cardinals. And it was early. I even got on him a little bit and I, I, I met him when the Cardinals were in town and he couldn't have been nicer. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> he was so fucking nice. He was, uh, that was a, that was a, a very enjoyable conversation. Good dude. Um, but yeah, the Tyler O'Neill benching for not hustling. What a wildly overblown thing that uh, happened in St. Louis. If there's anything that you want to point to, like if you want to criticize the Red Sox for making this deal, it's the fact that the guy can't stay on the field. 
Like that's it. Like the, the he's battled injuries pretty consistently over the last few years. And if you think that this is going to be an everyday player for your team, then I got another you know thing to tell you. It, it's just not going to happen. Like you know, I, I'd like to think maybe he could be an option that it, it, you at least have the intention of him being an everyday player. It's just not going to happen. Like it, he's just not been that guy. But the the one year, what was it, twenty twenty one? Yeah, you the want the stats? Like They're ridiculous. Yeah, what was it? Uh, did he play like 130-ish games? Yeah, 286, 352, 560, and 912 OPS, 34 jacks, 15 stolen bases, 8th in MVP voting. Right. Like, ridiculous. And you gave up dick for this dude. Yeah, you give up Nick Robertson for people who probably don't even remember. He was the big the name uh, that came in the Kike deal, and he got smacked around when he came over. He's a big stuff plus guy. We've talked about that with Caleb Ort back then. Someone a lot of the metrics guys enjoy, and do I think there was something in Nick Robertson to be a seventh inning reliever somewhere? Sure. But what have the Red Sox done since the offseason started? Isaiah Campbell, Greg Weiser, like they've been stacking these arms up. That's something they could deal from. And then Victor Santos did not even pitch this past year. Not a ranked prospect, like definition of a org arm. You know what I mean? Someone you're never going to think twice about. It's this, you know, maybe he would pitch in the big leagues one day, but it'd never be consistently. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I know that um, <clears throat> it's it's going to come across as a little bit of fence sitting. My reaction to the Tyler O'Neill trade, but I think it's just you're you're just being real about it, right? Like, there's tremendous upside. The Red Sox lost their second best defender, their best defensive outfielder, their second best defender on the team, uh, next to Trevor Story and Alex Verdugo. Lose that guy, you need outfield defense. Okay. Cool. Did you give up a lot? No, nothing. You, um, you gave up absolutely nothing. Yep. And <clears throat> the the concern is going to be, can he stay in the field? 2021, it's we're now three years. That's fucking nuts. We're three years removed from 2021. <laughs> yep. Like, I remember sitting here being like, man, fucking 2018 was three years ago. That's crazy. Like, now it's six. Now 2021 is becoming the distant memory. So. That's his last great full season. It's been a while. Do I have high expectations for him? No. Uh, would it be nice if he played a full season? Like, I, I'm not expecting 2021 numbers. I'm just not. Like, I'm not expecting that from him. Uh, something that I do expect from him is is defense. I, I would yeah. like that. Two-time right Gold Glove bat. Award winner. Yeah. Two Gold Gloves. The right-handed bat that Lou Merloni was talking about. And high offensive upside. It's... It's Hunter Renfro with better defense. It's this year's version of I don't even know. Like it's I guess it's Hunter Renfro, but like not as healthy. Tim and, and I'd say maybe you know you want to mention Duvall like can play all three outfield spots according to the Athletic. That's the plan. They're going to mix and match him in some of those areas. Yeah, maybe and that's I think a better comp. It's it's a good defensive outfielder that's got right-handed pop that there's going to be some injury risk. Yeah, and he's making half of what Verdugo is. So like you start to do some of the math there. So you're getting that option. And I think, like you said, health is the major standpoint. But if he's even been what he's been the last two seasons, he's basically the player Alex Verdugo is. He gets to it a little differently. Obviously, the plus defense is where they relate. Yeah, he hits for a lower average, but he walks a lot and he's going to hit bombs. Like no matter yeah. what, the guy's going to hit homers. Like over the last two years when he's been hurt, like he still hit. 23 homers in 160 games, 25 doubles, and 19 stolen bags. 
Alex Cora talks all the time. I want athleticism. This year, I think it was like 80th percentile sprint speed. The years before, he was like 95 to 100. So, you know, if you get a healthier version of Tyler O'Neill, maybe you get some of that. I guess where I'm curious here and where they kind of put this puzzle together is I hope they don't look at Tyler O'Neill and say, man, we don't need another right handed bat. Because I think if you're approaching it that way, you're going about it in the wrong way. You start to look at this lineup and I've seen, you know, the MLB network picture has been going around crazy on Twitter this week. I still think they're a bat short. And maybe Tyler O'Neill, if they look at him and he's someone when he was with the Cardinals, John Mozalak said it when they dealt him. He's an everyday player. He was very upset himself, Tyler O'Neill, not being viewed as an everyday player. So I'm curious to see how the Red Sox approach it because you go back to the Hunter Renfro and the Adam Duvall conversation. You know, Duvall dealt with injury, so it changed a little bit. Those guys did become everyday players, even though they looked maybe more like platoon guys at the time. And Tyler O'Neill mashes lefties, right? But already you put this outfield puzzle together. It feels like somewhat of the log jam you had when Alex Verdugo was here is back. That makes me question, are they setting themselves in a spot where, hey, we're going to be open to dealing one of these outfielders for the right pitcher if we need to? Because I, I think the lineup, if you think Tyler O'Neill's the right-handed bat that's going to get this lineup to where it needs to go, it's just not enough for me. No, it's not, it's, it shouldn't be enough for anybody. And I, I trust me, I see all the reports. You've got writers, you've got other executives that are praising the Red Sox for the deal. That's fine. It's a good but move. I think the, the, the Rosenthal thing this morning was basically like, yeah, it's a, it was a cute little move. You know, cute. Like the Yankees got Juan Soto. You know, I feel like that's maybe moves the needle a little bit more for for most. Um, but yeah, the moves the Red Sox are making is like, yeah, that's cute. You know, it, it's a good trade in a vacuum. When you look out of the outside picture and you realize what the Red Sox need to do, it's not going to get anyone going. It's not going to get you super excited. But yeah, it's following a similar plan to what Heim was identifying. Someone who should succeed at Fenway Park. And if at the very least it is a platoon in right field with someone like William Abreu and that's how they play it out. Cool. Then is that Yoshida getting, you know, a lot of time at DH? Like, how do they plan to go about it here? I'd be fascinated to see what they think of him as at this point. Yeah. Because I think they hope that version of Tyler O'Neill, even if it is the player he's been the last two years, if he can stay on the field, I think they'd look at him as an everyday player. Yeah. Yeah. If he can stay healthy, he'll be in there every day. That's a big if. And sorry for being a Debbie Downer, but I don't anticipate that being the case. Hope I'm wrong. But I have even no you reason go to believe that it, that would be the case. You go before 2021, he was dealing with injuries then too. Like, like that's the reality of the situation. It's like six years and 2021 was an aberration. Outlier, yeah. Yeah. So. That's, I mean, listen, we're going to full throttle at some point. But, Jake, as the, uh, as the ambassador, you're basically like the leader of the Yamamoto to Boston uh, campaign that's happening right now. You're the face of it. Kanuchiwa. Uh, see, uh, how do you... How do you feel it's going and what percentage would you put on Yamamoto to Boston right now? I mean, judging off just my tweets, 100%. Every other tweets, <laughs> maybe 2%. 2%? Um, just like, I don't know. I The reason that I put out the tweet yesterday saying reverse sweeps on opening day if it's not Yamamoto is like, they told us full throttle. Like, we didn't just make this up out of nowhere. Like, if right. you tell me full throttle... 
I'm like, okay, full throttle. And there was yeah. three guys that are full throttle. It's Soto, Otani, and Yamamoto. Two of them are off the table. So, I mean, if, if you still want to say full throttle, then it's Yamamoto or bust in my eyes. That's, it, yeah, that's a reasonable take. And where I'll allow the out if you don't land one of those guys, if we get the report and I, you know, everyone will be like, oh, interest kings, of course you're in. If the Red Sox offer what the money is and he says, hey, man, I wanted to be a Yankee. I wanted to be a Dodger. All right. And then you pivot to Montgomery and you make a deal for a legit, you know, starter or you sign a mid rotation guy. And it's it's a fine rotation. You're definitely better than you were last year. You're a playoff contender, maybe, but you're definitely not a World Series contender. I can accept that. If I hear you weren't willing to get in a bidding war, which Mark Feinzen said, you know, the expectation around the league is that the Red Sox and Cubs aren't in it for a bidding war. Well, then we have a fucking problem. That goes back to the whole conversation of if you won't fight for him in a war. You'll never fight for anybody else. And that's just the truth of it. It tells you they only paid Devers because they were scared. The mutiny was about to friggin rip Fenway Park out of the ground. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think everyone listening right now is familiar with that Lou Merloni tweet from last Ooh, night. You know something? I do. That Lou Merloni tweet goes out last night and uh, I'm in Target with my sister because I was making her wrap my Christmas presents. So we were buying some tape and tags and wrapping paper, things of that nature. And then I'm in the fucking... You didn't extension. come to aisle 14. Yeah, I was going to, but then I knew that you were there, so I didn't. Yeah, like I was just like sitting there like naked, covered in like a bunch of weird shit sitting there waiting for you. So I'm in the the electronics aisle. Like I was looking for an extension cord to hang my my wreaths in my window. And I see this tweet from Lou Merloni. I'm going to bed tonight feeling better about Yamamoto. That's it. That's all I said. I'm going to bed tonight feeling better about Yamamoto. After the explosion of the Seth Lugo freakout reaction. Yes. At a time when no one was willing to say a positive thing on Twitter. Lou's out here like, let me give you, let me be your guiding light just for a night. Yeah. And I mean, people obviously went ballistic with this tweet because we haven't even had a tease this winter. Nothing. Not even a crumb. So this was like our first crumb. <clears throat> so I take out my phone immediately. And I FaceTime Lou Merloni in the middle of the electronics aisle. He answers the phone. He's sipping on uh, some scotch, I believe. Classy. And, and like one of those, like, uh, it's like, it's almost like a, like a shot glass sized, like goblet. It's like a mini. Yeah. Sipping some scotch. And I was like, tell me what you know. We just have this conversation. About <clears throat> some conversations that he, that he had. And uh, obviously, we can't go into full detail. We're not going to reveal sources and the full nature of the discussion. But what I came away from the conversation with Lou was I, as I tweeted yesterday, I was at 5%. And then I think I went up to 12 to 15%, which I think is it's not like I'm not out here getting people super excited like oh fuck it's happening dude it's they like, mentioned you on the fenway rundown uh with Catillo and mcadam like everyone saw lou merloni and jared caravis on twitter last night uh, like there's some momentum or there's something like there's a little more hope than there was when everyone woke up yeah i think the word i'll use is context 
like it's not i i wouldn't use the word momentum i would Connecting use the dots. word context i would use the word clarity you know like you're you're yeah you are connecting dots i think for me uh and this is kind of what i said to jake before we came on like based on that conversation with lou it's almost like we know a little bit more about what yamamoto is looking for and like how he sees other landing spots versus like you know the, oh john henry is determined to get yamamoto he's willing to go to 400 million like it's not that like it's not because then if it then like let's just say hypothetically in the phone conversation like lose like oh yeah like john henry said if it takes four million i'm fucking spending it then i'd be like oh fuck like it's 90 percent chance you know like they're not like if someone everyone else is gonna have like a walkaway price but if john henry doesn't have one and he wants yamamoto then fuck yeah like let's go but it wasn't that it was more just context of kind of like almost like process of elimination like your your chances are slightly better due to process of elimination that's that's what the conversation was so i went from five percent chance to somewhere between 12 and 15 percent assumptions we've made based on reports that have come out right those assumptions were not what we thought they were no the different picture behind the scenes of what it is and like you said it makes you put that favorite list a little bit differently than maybe you're seeing it on jane or john Heyman's twitter right now yeah 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 you know who i want to see right now who i want to see jemai webster oh (laughs) i want to see jemai webster there he is. Nice to meet you, Jamai. What's up, man? Nice How to meet doing? you too, bro. You've never met Tyler before? Nah, man. Not in wow. person. Wow. That that's you're lucky. He's oh, right. uh, yeah. no need for that. No, you're lucky. Have you you've met Jake though, right? No, I can't say that I have, what? right? I don't think we met now. No. Damn. I, I, I meet I'm meeting everybody for the first time except you, dude. Wow. That's crazy. Wow. Where where is home for you? Me, Boston. Like what? Like what neighborhood? Oh, like where I'm? Like originally? Like the no, OG no, no. Home? Like, no, like where is like where is your like? Give me your address. I want to come over. Is what I'm saying. Oh, okay, I'd also yeah. like to come to my. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Come through. Pull up, man. I'm I'm down here in Boston. You're in Boston, uh, Boston. Yeah, like legitimately, like Forest Hill Station is just down the street. Jamaica Plain, right over here. Damn. So that's where I'm at, dude. Like, wow, you're in the shit. Uh, yeah. I, I wish I was in the suburb. I'm trying to move, man. I'm trying to find me a new spot, but you guys it's can tough move right in. now. I got. I I might have a house opening up in my neighborhood. You should move in over here. I don't know, man. I think I'm. I think I'm a South Shore guy. I think. I think. What? Yeah, I know. That's crazy. I just Who? like everything is so. Who familiar talked for me. you into that nonsense? I'm assuming <laughs> that- my life's good down here. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, he he lives in the slums. I Whoa. think there's someone who talked you into the South Shore being better than the North Shore. Man, it, honestly, I, I used to hear I used to hear Eck talk about how he would drive in, and then we got Lou Lou Marloni's down this way too. Mm. So. um I'm not going to go to, you know, Duxbury way down there where they are, but mm-hmm. you know, I might I might mess with Quincy or Braintree or Brockton. No. Yeah, Weymouth even. No, 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 yeah. no. no. So, Jumai, we could do a lot of cool things in Brockton. Hey, That's all <laughs> it's on hey, it's on the list right now, man. No, so no, no, no. Part, I mean, part of it is because my daughter actually she goes to school in Braintree, so uh I'm trying to get closer to there because the drives in the morning are kind of brutal, man. 
Yeah. No. So, I mean, it's like 25 minutes, but it's, you know, you do that twice a week or whatever, twice a day, morning and night, fighting that traffic. It's not ideal. So I'm trying to get close to it over there. So I can't move to Saugus because that's going to take me like an hour, dude. That's going to take me like an hour. 20 minutes. 20 minutes from door oh, to door. In what to world? Fenway no way. To Fenway Park? <laughs> yeah, to, to Fenway. Well, I mean, what time do you usually get there? You get there when I get there. So you like get there for what? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, perfect. So. If you're not going there during rush hour, which if you leave around two, which I usually do, 25 minutes door to door. Yeah, but... I'm going, I got to go to other places. Like I got to go to Braintree in the morning to take her to school. I got to pick her up sometimes. Well, like you right now, take her out of school to live in Saugus. She'd go to Saugus <laughs> public schools. I don't know. We were kind of, com- she goes, she goes to a private school right now. So we're kind of committed to um, going to school at this place. She loves it. She's thriving, man. I'm trying to get my daughter into Harvard or something. So oh. I'm, I'm investing in her education right now. So in the future, she can be solid. <laughs> all right so then why don't we i'll homeschool her and you can are you a product me. you're a product of saugus public schools right yeah <laughs> <laughs> say less <laughs> say no more <laughs> saugus high saugus high back in the day they uh they put my book on the summer reading list so really mm-hmm, just saying wow. that was required reading in 2010 to like 2012 that's, I mean, that's quite the accomplishment. Uh, once she she gets into more sports, I'm, I'm gonna see if she'll be into that. She's she's reading novels right now, little kid ones. How old is she? <laughs> Six. She'll be seven uh, in about three weeks. Seven year old reading novels. Tyler, yeah. when's the last time you read a book? Period. I'm gonna be real. I don't even know how to read. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> What's that? I got What's my little the- library here. There used to be uh, the Treehouse, right? <laughs> Didn't they go on like little adventures? Wasn't that like a kid series back in the day? I used to read Goosebumps. You ever read yeah, Goosebumps? Solid. Come on. That was a solid one, right? PTSD, a lot of trauma. You had, you know, the magic school bus. You had all that stuff, man. Credit to her. She's already, uh, her reading level has surpassed mine. Probably yeah. Jared's as well. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's where it starts, man. I don't read That's where it starts. Um, all right. So what is, what's your, what is your background? Cause I don't know. Like, did you grow up a Red Sox fan? Like, where are you from, from? No, man. Come on, dude. I'm from, I'm from Los Angeles, man. I was born what? in LA. Yeah. So, so you're a Dodger so, guy. Yeah. That's where I grew up being a big time Dodger guy. So like a part of me is like very excited for Shohei Otani for the next decade, you know, doing those things, you know, the kid that I grew up with, I was cheering for those teams where. You know, they weren't doing so hot, but are you still um, invested? Do you still do you still care if the Dodgers win and lose? I, I don't know if I would say not not invested like that, but you know, it's like it's like uh it's like you know, you know, you might have an ex-girlfriend where you're like, oh, you know, I'm gonna go down memory lane here and mm. you know, check in every now and again. Okay. So I see what our guy Mookie is doing, and you know, JD was over there, so I check in and uh and see Ryan Brazier even. Yeah, Back last year, Joe Kelly. So Joe Kelly. I mean, yeah. you know, good guys that you know I got a relationship with still. So I just, you know, every now and then I check in to see what's going on. So I, I like to do see them do well. I like good people to have success. Um, but it's not like a you know everyday thing. Like I'm I'm in this Red Sox thing. You know what I mean? It's a it's a daily grind. I'm 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 locked into it. So I don't have time to really to see what's going on. But every now and then I check some West Coast baseball. Yeah, that see that's fine. So I, what I kind of like is 
Like Mike Trout, for example, he's an angel, but everyone knows he's an Eagles fan. Right. I, I think if you were a like no one, if you were a Dodger fan, no one would be like, Jemai, what the fuck, man? That like, you can't, you can't, <laughs> yeah. you can't be repping the Dodgers. Like, dude, he grew up a Dodger. Like, be true to it. But you can still love and support the Red Sox. Like, if that's right. your job, like <laughs> your job is infinitely more fun when the Red Sox are winning. So, like, you can definitely have a rooting interest in both teams. Like, I, I don't exactly. Think and, and, you know, it doesn't make it that difficult either because you got one National League team, you got one American League team. Now, if I right. had grew up in Baltimore or something, it'd be difficult. Or if right. I was grew up in New York in the Bronx, it'd be tough to kind of right. have the two allegiances. Right. But I feel like once you get into it, you kind of lose that little bit of uh, the emotional tie to it. But, you know, I, uh, I check in every now and again. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, Speaking of it's more fun when they win. They have been losing for the last couple of years. How much like do you still because I know that like it depends. Like it's not like they've been abysmal for last place teams. They haven't been. It hasn't been 2020. Like it hasn't been like who are these players? This is miserable. They have no chance of winning this baseball game. Like last year was more, you know, they win five straight. They lose seven straight. It was just up and down, up and down, up and down. Uh do you find it difficult to be able to do your job when the team isn't playing as well? Yeah, in some aspects, because, you know, winning, it just breeds much more fun for everybody. I mean, the guys are happier, you know, the the food tastes better on the plane. Everything is just <laughs> yeah. like the vibe is fantastic. So um, it's been tough to be covering losing teams, especially towards the end. Thank goodness. I mean, there was still like a glimmer of hope until the last couple of weeks, the last few years. I mean, in, in, in 22 as well, it, it felt like it wasn't until like the last week of the season where it was like, all right, they're not going like officially where um, people were like, yeah, getting ready for the offseason. What am I going to be doing? All that stuff. Last year was a little bit longer. We kind of found out pretty, pretty quickly that uh, it wasn't going to happen. But I feel like because I'm an eternal optimist, like I have optimism. I'm always trying to go into a situation thinking the best. Like, I thought that that team last year was going to make the playoffs. You know, I thought that they probably hit 90 wins, didn't happen, some injuries happened, things that you can't really forecast. But it's a much better team when they're playing well and guys are having more fun and they give you better stuff. They're more inclined to talk to you because they don't feel like they have to work on every single thing because they want to try to turn something around. So, um I think the overall product is better when they're having fun. And, 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 you know, that's what makes it fun. But this is last place finishes, man. I hope it ends this year because uh, that not making the playoffs has not been fun. And, and and also because, you know, you're grinding with everybody basically all the way from spring training until the fall. So when they make the postseason, it's like, all right, let's go. And you've had these relationships that you built with every single player and you have this opportunity to kind of see those through some of the most exciting times of the season. Like 21 was like, that was, that was a wild ride, man. That was so much fun. And then even when it ended in Houston, it was like, man, that's crazy. You, you know, you kind of look up and come up for air. Like, I can't believe it's over two games away. And then the last few years have been kind of brutal. So I never really covered a losing baseball team, which I kind of been blessed in that regard. Um, shoot, when I got here in 2016, even though the season had been over, that was David Ortiz last year. So, you know, they're coming 17, they're still playoff team. 18, they win it all. 19, they're still kind of coming off the World Series hangover, though they missed the playoffs. But it felt like that team was trying to fight their way to a postseason. 20, I actually didn't cover 
at all. I didn't really do anything with that with that season because it was a COVID year. And then 21, my first uh, full season as just strictly just sideline reporting um, was incredible. And then the last two years, like I said, just been brutal. So I'm hoping that this year, which I'm still I'm like watching my phone every two seconds, like waiting till they sign Yamamoto. Like what's going on? Where's the splash going to happen? So uh, I think they still need pitching depth. They got they got a few little, you know, minor pieces. We saw a little buzz uh, earlier today, whatever, but. I think there's still more to be done. So I hope uh, I hope that big splash from the Red Sox of the past that I'm used to seeing is kind of part of uh, the 2023 offseason still. Yeah, it's it's depressing. We were just talking about that for a little <laughs> bit. It just, you know, we're we're waiting for that buzz. And it is uh, I mean, like I, the last Roberto time, Perez, Jared, come on. Roberto Perez. <laughs> yeah, I actually I, I brought this point up to someone with the Red Sox. And uh, I was like, man, I've been waiting for that breaking news tweet for fucking ever. I was like, the last time that it happened was the Chris Sale trade. Yeah. And they were like, no, no, when we signed J.D. Martinez. And I was like, all right, fine. But it's that was still five years ago. Like, wow, like that's not that's any crazy. better. Like that was that was uh, February of 2018 was when that went down. Like that is a long time ago so i am i'm dying for that juice again um but you, you mean to tell me the the cooper criswell tweet didn't do it for you <laughs> <laughs> i was actually you know we haven't even brought that up yet i kind of want to hit on that because uh like the second the second that i tweeted that out i uh i heard from someone in his camp oh, <laughs> and, no. uh, <laughs> i was like listen i was like tell him that it's not like I'm not mad at him. Like I'm mad that ownership hasn't stepped up yet. All yeah. I tweeted was we are throttling right now. <laughs> uh, I was like, he is just, it, it is just a situation where he is just going to be caught in the crosshairs in a situation where the Red Sox fans are not happy with ownership right now. They're not happy yeah. with the lack of action. Um, See but, if like Katia or someone tweeted it out. I feel like everyone would have been like, "All right, like yeah, it's, it's yeah. local stuff." You know, this guy he has an option. Yeah. He's going to be shuttled between AAA yeah. and the big leagues. Jeff Passan drops yeah. the bomb yeah. Yeah. at 11 p.m. at night. You think the craziest <laughs> thing just happened? Yeah. You know what? You're absolutely right. Uh, to put it that way, it certainly uh, drives the point home. It's like, okay, you think it's about to be some major splash, and it's like, what? We got to yeah. back into the, you know, this guy may spot start or whatever the case may be. And he's probably a great guy. You know, I'm, I'm sure we'll beat him down the line. But, uh, yeah, it, it's kind of put him in a bad spot with the fan base. Uh, <laughs> the fact that it's him as one of the first uh, pitching dominoes to fall when I think that's still got Yamamoto first, on the board. That's the first free agent contract that Craig Breslow has given out is fucking uh, <laughs> Cooper Criswell. <laughs> Who, by the way, hey, we follow each other on Instagram now. Maybe we'll be best yeah. pals. But yeah. hit him on the pod. When you see <laughs> when you see Jeff Passant, like obviously I have all like the tweet notifications for like the the major writers for Major League Baseball. Yeah, I see it pop up, and like your brain or your eyes never start at the top of the sentence. You see <laughs> Jeff Passan, you see a block of words. And then you just like jump to the middle to see Red Sox and you see Red Sox and you're like, where's the name? Where's the name? And it's like, who the fuck is this? Like, it's like, it's awful. It's awful. And I feel bad for Cooper. I think because all the dude did like from from what I was told, 
he had a very competitive market and yeah. that can like he had major league offers he had minor league offers he had contending teams that were interested so like that part of it, it's like all right you know like whatever it's it's a million dollars it's a it's a one-year contract yeah and it's for a dude that maybe andrew bailey and uh uh Craig Breslow sees something that they can fix. Yeah. Fine. Spear, Spear said it today. He's like, he's going to be stretched out at AAA and right. he'll work there. And with the option, whenever you want him, you can call him up and you can do it the entire year long back and forth. But yeah. but certainly not what you used to seeing from the Red Sox. And not often do you see Passon's tweets in regards to free agents <laughs> have a little bit of a note that says the guy was designated for assignment. Right. <laughs> I'm point. surprised he didn't turn it down. If he was like, hey, man, I, I appreciate you giving me this news to break. Pass it off to somebody else. Right, like, exactly. I'm not putting this on my Twitter feed. Yeah. It's like a, there's levels to this breaking news stuff. And, you right. know, you got to reach my threshold. But that's that's hilarious. <sighs> I feel but, hey, wa- watch him be, you know, one of the all stars who never knows. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be back. It's gonna be watch next year. It's gonna be Criswell, Chris Martin, Kinley Jansen. That's your yeah. seven, eight, nine right there. Mm-hmm. Big Chris. Yeah, that that is uh, that's just a it's it's unfortunate timing because everyone was pissed about Lugo, and then yeah, that's true. Lou puts out the problem. tweet about Yamamoto being like, and then and then you get breaking news from passing. You sign this dude that no one's ever heard of, but hey, we've heard of him now. He's a somebody now. At least right, exactly. He's he is so <laughs> solid, solid. Had it had it had leveraged the great market. So he he's business savvy at least. His camp. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, let me ask you this question, Jamai. What team that you've covered feel do you feel like has embraced you the most? Oh, that's a good one, man. That's a great one. Oh, oh. I'm about to go back. I mean. It it probably would be that 2018 Red Sox team, honestly. Mm. But I mean, like, I feel like, like it's never been like a contentious thing with me and, and and any of the players or anything. So I feel like every team has had like it's been like a good vibe. We've gelled, you know. I've gotten the things that I needed. They understand, and um, the relationships have all been solid. But I do feel like that 2018 team probably was the most warming and accepting maybe because they were winning if that made things easy but just like the personalities in that clubhouse at the time too like you know rick porcello david price um mookie jbj so a lot of those guys it was just so easy to talk to so maybe that made it that much easier for me to do my job because you know the guys are really successful xander bogarts i mean the list goes on devers even um at that time as a younger player, but it'd probably be that team. I mean, it's hard to just stack in the seasons. It's hard to go up against probably any other roster that they've had as opposed to that one. I would say, I'd say it's that 2018 team. I mean, even, man, even down to like Heath Hembry and yeah, Heater. <laughs> all those guys, like I really had a great relationship with those guys and they were fun. Eduardo Nunez, like, yeah, it's definitely Noon 2018. Time. Yeah, he was great. definitely. Dude, by the way, that's the that it's it makes me sad to this day because that is the greatest. You know, we do these my stories where we sit down with these guys and, and we tell their story from beginning to present day. And that will be the greatest my story never to be seen was my sit down with Eduardo Nunez. Some incredible gems came out of there. 
such a funny guy, jovial smile. His laugh was just like, I wish I could put it on repeat. It was the absolute best. And it was it was one of those things where the the suits and everybody was trying to figure out how we're going to match it up and how we're going to, you know, lay out each different episode. And it got to a point where then he was hurt and then he was gone and it never saw the light of day, man. So that's awful. That, that one still kills me to this day. I have this right here. This is Eduardo Nunez's laugh for anyone that's never heard it. You're gonna teach me how to speak Star Wars. An all timer, man. An all timer. It was like a mix between hyena and human. How much was that worth? I have like a whole highlight reel of his laugh yeah. like just it was the like a compilation best. of eduardo nunez laughs all right we're going to take a quick break from our interview with jemiah webster to bring you a word from our sponsor baseball may be finished but there's a new season to be happy about the holidays and the beer that was perfect for baseball is also the perfect match for a brighter holiday from its bold refreshing flavor to its beautiful bright color Blue Moon Belgian White Belgian Style Wheat Ale is made brighter for the holidays. My first thought when Jemai talked about moving to the South Shore is, boy, he's going to need some Blue Moons if he's going to be living down there. And I'm not speaking on the South Shore in general. I'm sure it's a great place to live. I'm a North Shore guy. Nothing against the South Shore, though. It's just if you're going to be anywhere near Tyler, you should have a lifetime supply of Blue Moons. I mean, you can see what Brockton's done to this guy. It's written all over his face. So my one piece of advice to Jemai is if you're going to move down to the South Shore, you better have a fridge stocked full of Blue Moons because if you're anywhere near Tyler, you're going to need them. Blue Moon Brewing Company beers are made brighter as the perfect complement to the holiday season. From Blue Moon Belgian White's refreshing flavor, to Light Sky's real tangerine peel taste, to Moonhaze's juicy burst of flavor, the whole crowd will be reaching for the bright stuff this holiday. With its refreshing flavor with Valencia orange peel for a subtle sweetness and hints of coriander, Blue Moon Belgian White Belgian-style wheat ale is a beer that's made brighter. It's carefully crafted and full-flavored with refreshing notes and a smooth, creamy finish. The season should be merry and bright, so Blue Moon is a perfect match for the holidays. The crack of a beer, the pour, the first sip of that bold flavor, Blue Moon always feels like a special occasion. Best served with its signature orange garnish to showcase its beautiful, bright color, a beer this good only comes around once in a blue moon, but you can enjoy it all through the holidays. Brighten up the holidays with a beer that's made brighter. Get Blue Moon Belgian White Belgian Style Wheat Ale, Light Sky, and Moonhaze delivered by visiting get.bluemoonbeer.com slash Jared for delivery options. That's get.bluemoonbeer.com slash Jared. Blue Moon, made brighter. Celebrate responsibly Blue Moon Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado Ale. So based on your answer, you and I might be the only two people, if you consider me to be a media member, the only two people in the media member space that had a good relationship with David Price. You, me, and Chris Smith from Mass Live. Okay. <laughs> he absolutely loved Smitty for some odd reason. Like their relationship, even to me, was strange. He loved them. Like I'd walk into the clubhouse three o'clock, Smitty would be over there in the corner where DP had his locker. They'd be chatting about the most randomest things. Be asking about his family and stuff, his dog, Astro. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was the one guy that he was consistent with. And I, I just thought that was the, the funniest thing. You got to ask him about it. But yeah, Smitty had a great relationship with David Price. But the thing is, and like, I, I just treat everybody the same. And I think that's it. Like, and for me, especially too, since I got to be there every day, like, I don't just talk to guys when I need something. Like, I have conversations with them, like how's things going today, checking on their lives and just like talk random stuff at times because 
you know, I'm not going to be just standing in the corner or standing in the middle, just waiting for my moment to kind of go in. And I think that's the problem that uh, a lot of guys have with, with some of the baseball press, especially when they're on the road, which is, you know, I've seen this on multiple occasions too, where you just go up to a guy, you haven't introduced yourself. You just stick a mic in their face and you start asking questions. Mm -hmm. I saw that play out last year in Tampa with Kike Hernandez, which was excellent. Like it took everything within me not to start laughing because he looked at him like, who are you? Like, mm -hmm. what do you want? And he actually asked him that, like, who are you? And the hmm. guy was like, oh, I'm such and such with the Tampa Bay Times, yada, yada, yada. He's like, okay. He's like, can I ask you a couple of questions? He's like, yeah, sure. So then, right. you know, it's just having that relationship, building on that. And then when you need something, it's not like, it's like, oh, hey, by the way, can I ask you a couple of questions about something? And it's like, cool. Yeah, for sure. But uh, I think that's part of it. And that was kind of David's thing. And and he kind of enjoyed, at least from my perspective, like the the friction that was created to make people a little bit uncomfortable because yeah. everybody wouldn't take that approach. So he kind of got a kick out of it, I feel like. Yeah, he he had some run. Like, I remember the the blow up that he had with Evan Drellick with like the mm. footage that never saw the light of day. But I think I, I heard about it because I, I think I was doing stuff with NBC at the time and he was with NBC. So like I heard kind of like how it went down. But I was like, you know, do you ever start to think that like maybe maybe it's just because you're a dickhead? <laughs> like may, like he, you know, I've always been nice to him, so he likes me. Whereas I think that like, you know, your line of questioning can come off as a little condescending. So therefore he's not right. going to like you. Like, would you like to be asked questions in a condescending tone? Probably not, but you have to answer them as part of your job. Whereas he makes $30 million a year and he has the right to tell you to fuck off. He doesn't have to answer those questions. If he doesn't want to, he can talk to Chris Smith in the corner and get plenty of, of chatter. If he, if that's what he wants to do. Yeah. I think that's part of it for sure. It's, it's about having that feel, having that, having that, uh, that, that ability to approach it in the right way too. You got to come correct. Yeah. Yeah. Has, is there anyone that you thought you might not get along with just because they were kind of prickly and then you ended up having a good relationship with them? Huh. It's another good one, man. You got me. It's like <laughs> stump the Schwab here. Uh, uh, who would that be? Who would that be? Um, I guess, it, I mean, it was some first name that or first face that pops up in my head when I think about that it's probably go back to 17 probably be Petey yeah. just thinking like you know he's got this reputation of being just like a kind of pretty straightforward hard nose or whatever and it was a little bit intimidating it's funny because we're like the same age but it just felt like he had been like this you know 10 year vet and I'm like a rookie coming into the league even though I guess I was um, at that point in time in my Red Sox tenure so just like the first conversation introducing myself, it was just like, oh, he's not so bad. You know what I mean? It's just like you just treat him like regular people. So, and, you know, see him every now and then and still say hi and stuff. But it um, at first it felt like, wow, this it, it kind of like uh, it makes you a little bit apprehensive to approach them at different times. But again, you just, you know, treat them like regular human beings and just talk to them uh as you would anybody else that was like in your orbit on a daily basis. Yeah. So just keep it cordial. And then, you know, when it's time to business, they respect it. Yeah. I mean, so you came in at a very interesting time because it was like three straight division titles. Things are good, yeah. but it was also 
a John Farrell clubhouse, which was a little bit more buttoned up. So I interviewed Eduardo Nunez after the 2018 World Series. So they had just won, but he was on the team in 2017. So he had one year Farrell, one year Cora. Of AC, yeah. Yes. So he got traded there, I believe, from the Giants in he 2017. Did, yeah, it was, it was in Seattle. I remember the day because Dave Dabrowski was there. And then that, like, we had been running the video back and forth of, like, him saying peace out to his Giants teammates. And they were like, yeah, reportedly he's on the way. And then Dabrowski had his press conference in the clubhouse. I'll never forget because this was, like, the first big domino. And then, you know, I think Steve Pierce came later. But um, this was a trade in 17. Oh, that's this, right. 17. That's yeah. right. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm mixing the years. But, yeah, this this happened in Seattle from what I remember. Yes. So I I asked him about, like, the differences in the clubhouse. And he told me a story about when he first got traded over to Boston and he was like walking around the clubhouse and then he went to go like sit down and eat. And he was like, why? Like He's like, we're in first place, right? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> like, why does it feel like we're in last place? <laughs> like that was the that was the energy in the clubhouse. Do you remember kind of like being around the team? And how like it kind of changed under Decora, and how like awkward it was, because like you could like you could feel it as a fan that the energy was yeah. just weird in like seventeen. Yeah, I mean, now that you bring it up, there was there's definitely there was a major difference with just guys being a little bit more relaxed, and it, it was like uh it was like in school when like you're over here in the corner and like you're doing some work or something and like you're talking to your buddy and the teacher passes by, it's like. Let's get back to it. And then she leaves or whatever. That's how it was when Farrell would walk through the clubhouse and see him. Like, it's like, oh, dad's here. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, we got to we gotta just chill. It, it was, it was uh, you definitely felt that. But you see Alex Cora kind of walk in there and he's talking to guys, chatting, tapping them and uh, speaking. And it's just a different feel for sure. Um, that was definitely felt, I think, in the, those back-to-back years. Yeah. And, and, and a job like that, like you can take college courses <clears throat> and and things like that, and they can tell you stories or whatever, but it's a very much learn on the fly kind of job. Like there's not going to be someone that's going to hold your hand through your first year or whatever. What do you recall was your biggest learning moment? Who biggest one? Well, I mean, I feel like the entire it was such a difficult learning curve. The entire like that entire first year, honestly, because I had never done baseball sideline in any capacity. Like it just wasn't, you know, there's not there's not like real opportunities like coming from local news, which is where I was at. Um, I was in Denver prior to that. Prior to that, I was in Hawaii. Prior to that, I was in Texas and I was doing local news working for the local ABC affiliates. So um, I had done one freelance high school football game uh, for Fox Sports. At the time, it was it was uh, St. Louis where Marcus Mariota went to, to high school versus Bishop Gorman, which is in Vegas. And um, actually, you know, it's funny. It's, so Shane Victorino's son was on that Bishop Gorman team because his really? wife – Yeah, it was on that Bishop Gorman team because <clears throat> his wife – uh, it's I think believe it's her son, but he was on that team or somebody in relation to them. Victorino had some kind of connection to Bishop Gorman, and then obviously on the St. Louis side, there's so many Hawaii connections. But 
Um, I remember she being there, and I think I might have interviewed her during the game. But anyways, that was my only experience, like, doing live programming or production. And then coming here, I was just like, I'm going to be hired as a host. I'm going to do Nesson Daily, you know, Nesson Live, Nesson Sports Today. Like, I'm do those shows or whatever. And, you know, I'll be filling in, like, you know, doing, like, 20 games uh, on, on the Red Sox broadcast. So I was like, oh, this would be super cool. Like, I'm excited about the opportunity, but, like, not really literally having no idea, like, how to prepare, like, what's important, what things people care about hearing. So that whole thing was like learning on the fly and trying to understand it. So like even the questions that you ask, like you ask a baseball player coming from like the traditional sports, it's not like football. You can be like, oh, well, you know, what was the, what was the, uh, like how big was the win? You know what I mean? It's like, dude, we got 162 of these things. Like (laughs) they're all important, whatever. So it's more so like process oriented, like the approach, you know, strategy behind something. Like, why did you do this? What did this mean? So, like, I even had to rewire my brain just, like, asking the type of questions that would elicit an interesting answer that a baseball audience would kind of find intriguing. So, that was a difficult part. TC helped me with that tremendously. Like, um, we had a producer at Nesson, Dave Miller, who came from ESPN. He spent, like, 30 years there. He was, like, very high up. He gave me, like, a list of ways to ask questions and to, like, get the best responses and things like that. So, like, people would help me along and they really, really took me um, under their wing, like everybody at the company at the time, because they wanted me to succeed in the role. I mean, it was just incredibly nerve wracking those first few years because I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm here. So let me just like try to make the most of it. But, you know, when you're having success, it's easy. But when you're like struggling at that, it's tough because you're just like, I don't know if I want to continue doing this, but it's like you don't want to tell them that you don't want to do this opportunity because you need to have those reps. You need to get better. And that's what happened eventually. But man, it was a struggle. It was a struggle. You know, and a lot of it, a lot of the best things would just come off me just doing things on the fly or just it'd be personality based, like just eliciting a great answer or going off of that. But like the X's and O's of the game, that was difficult for me to like comprehend and put into a way where um, I can try to get the best answers. So I would I would say growing up too, like baseball is probably like number three on my sports list. Mm-hmm. It was like the top two. It was football, basketball. You can either interchangeable, whatever. Baseball was down there, like something that I watched every now and then in the summer. Like my 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 dad's from San Francisco. That's where he grew up. So my grandmother was a huge baseball fan when she was alive. She's a huge Giants fan. She would like literally watch games. And I remember being like 11 when I stopped playing T-ball and I was like, baseball is too hard. It's too (laughs) difficult. Like, I just want the immediate result. I want to like hit the ball, hit home runs and let it be success. But once I started striking out and started like, you know, um, making mistakes in the field or whatever, I was like, this game is ridiculous. I'm I'm done with baseball. I wish I would have stuck with it. But anyways, I remember being over there at my grandmother's house and she'd be watching Giants games in the summer. And like, these are vivid memories where it'd just be, I feel like the days were moving like molasses so slow. The game was so boring. I was like, I just want to play outside or do something. So I got away from the game for so many years. And then we'll be like a casual observer checking in to, you know, some of the big superstars back then, some, especially some of like the, like the, some of the black superstars, like King Griffey, Barry Bond, some of those guys who I could like relate with or who I felt like were, you know, bigger than the game. 
I mean, you, Griffey had his own shoes. Everybody wanted those stuff mm-hmm. like that. So that's what I would connect with. But I wasn't like I'm at, like I am now where I'm, you know, I'm checking the casual game out or like I'm watching the West Coast games that are coming on or like it's my day off and I'm still like locked into baseball on the TV. So um, that took a while to to get that passion again, I guess, for the sport and to like really be into the the goings on of what's going on, because you kind of got to be locked into it as as a person on the beat, whether you're doing it every uh, as a writer or in TV, as a reporter, play by play analyst. You kind of got to be locked into it every day and kind of have the storylines around the league to know what's going on, because you're dealing with teams from different leagues. You're dealing with different players, different managers, different coaching staff. So at first, the game just seems so big, like you got 26 guys. You got a coaching staff that's like 10. You guys got analytics guys, even though it was a lot smaller back then. So I just didn't know where to start. It's like placing you somewhere and saying, okay, go find the best stuff. And it's like, well, there's like a hundred options here. Mm -hmm. Like, what am I going to find and what do people care about? So that was the most difficult thing. And then you think about the play-by-play guys and the the color guy are going to take the top storyline. So I got to find like the second layer of what's good. So that made my job even that much more difficult because I couldn't be like, oh, Rafi Devers is on a 10 home run streak for the last two weeks. That's easy money. Like, I'm going to do that. No, these guys are going to hit that in the open. So don't be redundant. Like, let's find something different. So um, and that's the part where I got to really know the relievers and talk to those guys, because I'm like, all right, well, they're going to be in late innings kind of in my mind. That gives me something to talk about where I can kind of, you know, bring things back up in the game and maybe bring an interesting point that our guys can play off of. But that was the most difficult part, just like trying to find the content. It's all there. And that's the beauty of baseball, because there's so many stories, so many different things that you can go. But just figuring out an angle and a direction and going that that way kind of was the biggest hurdle for me in that in that first year. So if if baseball was your third sport, whose brain do you most enjoy or find the most uh, informative or interesting? Like whose brain do you like to pick the most when it comes to baseball? Like. In the industry or like our guys? Uh, anybody. Yeah. Like anyone that you want to go to. If like you want to talk, so, like you need perspective or you're like, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, so early on, like when Jerry was still living, great resource. Always love talking to Jerry because he just dropped nuggets on your knowledge and just break things down where I understand it. So easy. Eck is another one where it's like we'll have casual conversations about stuff and what tripped me out so much because I knew Eck because, you know, 88. Obviously, Dodgers situation like I was still a kid, but it was something that I have vivid memories of of Dodgers winning the World Series uh, that year. And, you know, the term walk off was coined and all that stuff and just the type of character that Eck was in baseball. But like having conversations with him um, during the year when I'm this is the, at the point where I'm just like filling in and stuff. And like we're talking about the game, we're talking about players on our side and talking about just general stuff and he'd ask me like my opinion oh what do you think and like that tripped me out completely because i'm like dude you're a hall of famer red sox hall of famer like you had these careers x amount of saves like you've been in this and like you care about my opinion that just like validated i felt like the work that i was doing and you know that i was putting in it it made me feel like okay i'm actually in the right direction because he cares about what i what i what i have to say about the game so i always value his opinion when he was here now like I enjoy talking to um, I enjoy talking to well Dusty Baker. I enjoy talking to him when he always come into town. Ron Washington was great 
love Ron and used to when I was in Texas, actually, and the, the Rangers were, you know, coming up short in World Series. I was covering that team because I had been in the market there. But like I've been watching him forever, it seems like. So his knowledge of the game, his personality is kind of crazy. And we just have little limited interactions and conversations when they're in town or, or we go over there. But he's great. Um, I really like talking to Lou. Lou, Lou. I like talking to Lou about the game now. And that's just been the last couple of years more recently. Really all our guys. I mean, Uke, Middlebrooks, all these guys have been great. Um, but like conversations afterwards, like after the game, we're on a bus, like having conversations about the game and what went on and the trends. It's always it's always kind of something I look forward to um, with these guys. But, yeah, that's that's probably some of the, the voices that that I enjoy uh, listening and hearing from. Yeah, those are all. I mean, I, I feel like Lou is just—he's the best. Like he, yeah, he is. He's like he the can, grandpa of Red Sox Twitter at this point. <laughs> like, if you want to hear someone be wise and give you something that's rational, like, yeah. all right, speak to us, grandpa. Put us in our place. <laughs> yeah. That's what it Definitely. is. Yeah, for sure. And I, I hope he has many more years to come. You know, on the Nesson broadcast, I hope that uh, he—he's one of the guys that sticks around for a long time. Yeah. Do you have a favorite walk-off interview moment? Oh. Favorite? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess recency bias, man, but it, not really that recent. But um, it was in it was twenty one when Franchi Cordero hit the walk off grand slam, and I just got completely obliterated with the Gatorade shower that he basically pushed me into, <laughs> and we went on the road, and you know I had to hop on a plane like that, absolutely wet because my bag had been packed away. Thank goodness Red Sox PR hooked me up with some swag. You know, I was able to throw on a little shirt or whatever, but that's probably one of my favorites because, like, I was so locked in. And it's funny because TC all, all the time, the guys on the the post game show, I was talking about situational awareness, and I gotta have my head on the swivel. But the moment was so big at that time, and it's like, dude, you just hit a walk off grand slam. Like that's the stuff that you dream about. Obviously, if it was a playoffs, it'd be even sicker. But like to do that in a game and to win, it was. It all happened so fast because at that moment, like I'm sitting in the dugout well and I'm like, was it over? Like, did it go over? Because it was on the right field side. So I'm sitting at that side and then you realize it is Then I hop out and then everybody's going crazy and I'm trying to gather him. A producer's in my ear. Everybody's talking to me like you got to get him. So he comes out and obviously needed a translator. So I'm just like, all right, I got him. And I'm talking to him and like one question in, I'm just like locked into the situation and then splash. You get kind of pelted with the whole bucket of water. It felt like. And uh, it was just one of those moments where it was like, man, that that was pretty incredible. And that's the kind of stuff that you really live for, like the games like that, you know, the seasons that have playoff implications, the ones that go deep into the postseason. So I'm still even though I was around in 18, like I wasn't the full time guy. Right. So I didn't cover any of those World Series games on the road. So like having an experience like that selfishly, like I still want to experience with this organization, hopefully that it happens, you know, so. Um, that's kind of, you know, one of those things I put on my 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 preseason list of, of hopes and aspirations, trying to manifest uh, that for this Red Sox club. But uh, that Franchi one was was pretty memorable. And, you know, there's a couple from early on too. like there's one in 18 where I remember JBJ. It's actually I got a picture on my on my refrigerator. Somebody printed it out for me and I still have it. It's a magnet. It's me getting is JBJ getting um like three buckets of, of Gatorade and me just like right in there and like my suit getting absolutely ruined. But uh, it's one of those, one of those iconic moments for me and my career. 
Um, yeah. So that's probably the, those the two that I could think of. So I mean, we're both. But I mean, honorable mention. Sorry, I know we just lost Alex Verdugo to the to the big bad empire, but uh, yeah. his uh, his his quotable is uh, yeah. probably another another all timer yeah. for me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that one was so, good. I remember I texted you after that. Yeah, like, yeah, you certainly did. You yeah. and probably a hundred other people. Yeah, I, I don't think I had more texts before in my life after a game. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, that was that was pretty good. He said good. it twice, didn't he? Did he, he drop did. Like, yeah, he yeah. did. The second time, I was like, "Alex, we're live." <laughs> He's like, "Oh, my bad." <laughs> He's like, "Oh but shit, the, my bad." Fuck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the emotion of it is kind of one of those storylines that that carried over uh, throughout the season was pretty good. My yeah. dog's going crazy now back over here. That's Shut right. him up. That's like, right. dude, little dogs. We started the podcast <laughs> with my dog barking the first yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Tyler, I was like, "Is this your dog again?" Um, obviously as grown adult men, it is probably more and more difficult for us to feel starstruck at this point. Like there's no one in the league right now that I'd be starstruck if I met them. Um, but you've got your, uh, baseball players from when you were a kid that you might be starstruck by. Uh, and then also just, there's, there's gotta be like some, like, I think I'd be very starstruck if I met the rock finally. Like, I feel like we're going to cross paths <laughs> at some point. Like he's a Kowloon guy. I'm a Kowloon guy. Yeah. Uh, give me one baseball player that you would be starstruck to meet today. And one person outside of baseball could be a musician, entertainer, uh, oh. actor, anybody who, who's one person inside and outside of baseball that you'd be starstruck to meet. Oh, well, you got you do you 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 you're pretty good at this. <laughs> you got some great questions. Oh man, um, inside of oh okay, so I mean, I think this they could is be easy. retired. Anybody? Yeah, yeah. I think for me that'd be Barry Bonds. Yeah, Sam. Um, he follows me on Instagram. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh, you got to make that happen. It's slide the DMs, man. It was I, like I, I'm too nervous. So it's like. You know who follows me on Instagram that that came recently, um, or not Instagram, but Twitter was Tracy McGrady, dude. Tracy McGrady followed me on Instagram. More oh. baseball player, he's a pitcher too, and like big fan of his. And it tripped me out when he followed me. I was like, is this a mistake? Like, is this a bot or something crazy? But it's legitimately him. He followed me on Instagram, and I like I wanted to slide into the DMs like, hey man, like big fan of your work, all that yeah. stuff. But I just I'm too nervous to do it. I've never done it, but um, but it'd be Barry Bonds for sure because I mean. Barry brought everybody back to the game. I mean, whatever you say, steroid era, whatever the case may be, I think he was a Hall of Famer before any of the suspicion came in with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Had an illustrious career, obviously. To me, he's a home run king. Should be in the Hall of Fame. But to meet Barry would be kind of a trip because, I mean, I was locked into those those Giants teams, his home run run. I mean, 2002 was like the year that is one of those that felt like I came back to the game. Mm-hmm. So I think – uh meeting Barry would be kind of kind of crazy. It'd be kind of crazy uh inside the game. As far as outside, yeah. like entertainer, somebody crazy like that. Anybody. Or actor. Oh, it'd probably be Denzel Washington. Denzel, Denzel Washington. Big fan of his, man. Big fan of his. Okay. Love his movies. <clears throat> and uh favorite like, Denzel he's my favorite movie? actor. He's my favorite actor. Training day. Okay. <laughs> Easy. I training mean, there's so day. many, there's so many classics that Denzel's in, but Training Day is there. Um, as far as like, just what a performance! I mean, 
just amazing. But I, I like I like them all. I like literally he's one of the actors where I don't care what it is. If he's in it, I'm watching it. Yeah. West Coast trip. If say say you're flying Boston to L.A., Sox Dodgers are in L.A. You just wrapped up against uh, the Orioles at Fenway. What are we loading on to the iPad? Like what? How are we accounting <laughs> for six hours of flight time? You know what? It's funny because like. I feel like I'm not locked into the music scene like I as I once was. Like <clears throat> I know the mainstream people, you know, the Drakes, whatever, Gunna, somebody like that who's gonna come on, uh, J. Cole. But like the what everybody's listening to, I feel like I'm not locked in. But what keeps me still having a pulse on what's popular is being in the baseball clubhouse. So yeah. like whatever these guys are are, are are blasting after games, like I got my Shazam going on. I'm like, dang, what song is that? That's what's kind of hot. Like, yo, I need that. So I got like 30 songs that I that I came in discovery from just walking into the clubhouse after wins that like, I got from so, these guys. So you'll find this funny. This this song, this song is on my gym playlist. And it's because it was one of the uh it might have been somebody's walk-up or it was like a BP song. I think it was a BP song. But do you know the song? Oh. Yeah. Oh. That's right. You hear this one, Jamai? Wait. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! 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 Oh yeah! 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 <laughs> That's a BP one. That's a BP yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, so joint, they, that joint goes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They would play this. They would play this right. during BP. I should Every time. That, I should have that one. It's called Wolves. I forget who sings it though. Right? Uh, Big Sean and Post Malone. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah these guys keep me young. Er, I guess. Right. And, like uh, I didn't. I never listened to Bad Bunny until PK and like all these other dudes and then 21 like half like one third of the lineup had bad bunny as their walk up exactly walk up song exactly and uh so that's basically it like baseball walk up songs are in my rotation um from basically every like I go to other other teams and I'm like hey that's kind of hot like I remember it must have been like even like Connor Wong has some legit walk ups he had uh Travis Scott, some Travis Scott hot song. And I was like, dude, that's that's dope. And I was like, yeah, we always do Travis him and and Trevor Story. Um, they had Travis Scott walk up songs, but like whatever they have in rotation, I'm like, that's it. So I I, I got like a Shazam playlist on my Apple Music and it's it's that's what I'm, I'm rolling with just in uh, shuffle mode. That's it. Yeah. So it's, it's hot songs. Sometimes it's random R and B songs, whatever I find. But that's that's it's mostly baseball walkups or whatever's in the clubhouse after wins. So you're just doing music on a flight. You're not doing movies. Yeah. You're not doing books. You're you're just music. No. Six no, hours yeah. of music. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then like I might pass out for like ninety minutes, but I'm just chatting. You're when, just gonna, you're just gonna look at the back of your chair. For yeah. Six well, hours. I mean, like <laughs> a six hours. Wet, all right. So 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 let me go I'm back to the cross country yeah. flight here. Cross country flight. So yeah. for some reason, these flights seem always faster. I don't know if it's because of the type of plane we're in. So they 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 taste like five and a half hours usually. Depending, if we catch a nice, you know, we don't we don't catch a headwind. Yeah. We get there faster, but like an hour and a half is probably sleeping. Maybe two. And then you eat. So like I'm chatting with whoever's sitting next to me, 
sometimes it's our play-by-play guy, whoever's on that trip, or it's like the producer, or, I mean, or not the producer, but the director or the yeah. photographer. So I'm chatting with them, and then like our flight crew, like the ladies who are on our flight, they're all great personalities. So chatting with them, catching up, and then sometimes the guys come back and they'll chat with you, so you have conversations and. That takes up time. So then it's usually like maybe like the last hour and a half or something where all right, it's like, all right, everybody's come over here and you've had your conversation. So it's like, all right, I'm gonna just vibe out to some music. And that's when I that's when I put it on. So it's not like the whole flight. Because right. like it's too hard to to do that. You'd almost be like antisocial if you did that because there's just so much happening on those flights. Yeah. Who's so your, and we, and we sit on the back too. That's true. I, I've I've heard stories about the the back of the plane and, and the so it's shuttling. It's like everybody shuttles back there once or twice. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Who who's your ideal flight buddy? Like if you could sit next to one person on a flight like that and and you would actually enjoy the experience. Who you who are you picking? Will Fleming. Will Fleming's the balls. I Will fucking Fleming. love Will Fleming. Yeah, he's the best. He's the yeah. best. He chats about everything, and he he's got great stories. He's a great storyteller too. So. Uh, chatting with him and we always hang out on the road too. So we got stories from nights out and just craziness happening. And, um, it's just, it, it, it'd be him for sure. I love that. I love that. Tyler. So Jemai, we almost lost you this year when Rafi hit that ball and you took that shot. I think everyone was like, damn, it's a wrap. Like I know yeah. you had to get checked out and everything. Can you walk us through that story a little bit? Oh man, that was, well, I thought we were going to get through this entire podcast without having to mention that, but that was probably one of my season highlights that and uh, the kid throwing the baseball back on the field on father's day. But that man, it's funny because my counterpart, Andre not is with the Cleveland guardians. He's their sideline reporter. And he was like, hey, man, I don't sit on that side because Jose Ramirez, he sends rockets into that camera well. So just be on alert because it's dangerous over there. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever. He's like, I'm telling you, man, it's the lefties like who turn on it, who swing like that. So maybe if Devers gives up, like, watch out. And I'm like, OK, OK, for sure. Sure enough, man. That game like and, you know, so like. I'm sitting right next to the dugout and I'm actually closer to the guys in Cleveland than I am in a lot of places because it's like the camera well and the dugout entrance where guys come up from the clubhouse. They walk through the stairway right there. So most people pass by me on this particular dugout. AC is at the very opposite end and the coaching staff is on that end. Same as Fenway set up. Basically, they're at the far end. I'm on this side where the guys are hanging out and there's cameras. So Rafi comes up. And he had sent a couple that direction earlier so I, or, or like earlier in the series or whatever games before or years past. So I'm always on alert when he's up anyways, because you just never know where the ball is going to go. And I'm doing stuff, too. Like I'm taking score. I'm writing down notes, things I want to ask. Or I see different trends happen in the game and I'm trying to stay in tune with what's going on with that. People are talking to me, so I'm in conversation, but I'm always like trying to stay alert to the game. And I'm looking out to the field because I'm on the first base side. He's up and it it felt like a flash, man. It was like, and the ball was on me. I I basically, I couldn't, and it's, it's a tight situation there in Cleveland where, you know, I'm six two, so I'm a little taller and it's very tight. So like my knees are touching the dugout steps and there's not much space to move laterally or stand up and get out of the way. So boom, hits the ball and I see it. 
and it takes one one bounce, and I'm like, this is coming straight for me. My eyes get like hella big. <laughs> and all I can do is just like turn my body and just like protect. And I just like curled up like a turtle and I just like embrace for impact. And then boom, like a body shot from Tyson, bro, got me on the left side. And I was like, oh, like it immediately knocked the wind out of me. So then OB goes 109.3 off the bat. Wow. He's like, I think that hit Jemiah or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, dude, it definitely did. Then the producer's talking to me in my ear. He's like, we got the camera on you. Let us know you're okay. So I give him a thumb. I think I gave him a thumbs up because I could not speak. No, it and he's like, no. like you were at your limit. Yes. Like- and then like my adrenaline's rushing too because this really, it hurt. It hurt like hell. So then I'm like, thumbs up. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. He's like, no, we got to hit a verbal. We got to hear a verbal. Uh, it's our director, Ben Johnson. He's like, we got to hear a verbal. I'm like, dude, I'm good. I'm good. I'm solid. <laughs> I'm chilling. So, so then they run the replay back and he, and the, the the replay monitor's got the video and you see the ball and you see the track and it just like got me in a rip solid. And it was solid, like a boom, body shot. Like it hurt so bad. And and at that point, like, like again, my adrenaline's rushing. Like well, I'm in the moment, still live TV. I just been smoked by a baseball by Devers. So I'm like, you know, playing along, but then that started to wear off and I'm like, oh man. Like I couldn't even move. And I'm like, oh, that kind of hurts a little bit bad. And so then they run it back, whatever. I'm like, yeah, I'm good, guys, whatever. Try to play it off. And then like it started to really kind of sizzle a little Ugh, bit. It started to sting a little bit. And I'm like, man, that really got me. So then I I I I'm touching my side right here, and there's like it's like welt, you know, it's like a big welt. And like imprint of the baseball almost. So then everybody obviously saw it on TV. So then our our executive producer back in Nesson sends me a text like, you're okay. I'm like, yeah, I think I'm all right. He's like, you should get checked out. And I'm like, yeah, I will at some point later. He's like, no, I want to get checked out right now. I'm like, what what am I supposed to go to the hospital? Like a Cleveland medical? Like, what am I supposed to do? He's like, I got the I just put in the call to the clubhouse, which I didn't even think he had that ability, by the way. He's like, the training staff is going to come check you out. So do that right now. I'm like, all right, cool. So I go back. One of the trainers, Anthony Serendolo. Dolo, you see him everywhere. He's a big yoked Italian guy. You see him. Mm -hmm. Dude's mad cool, whatever. So he comes up. And he's like, hey, I just got a call from Ness. I'm like, you good? You He didn't see it because he's back there like working on the guys. Somebody's getting treatment on the training table. He's like, come on back. So I go back there, take off. I had a suit and tie this day, too. So he's like, just dethrone whatever. So I'm naked back, half naked <laughs> in the clubhouse on the training table. And he's like, lift your arm up. He's running all these tests on me. He's like, yeah, you got a contusion right right here, man. It's just it's just a deep bruise, basically. He's like, it's going to hurt like hell tomorrow or later tonight. Like, it's going to be worse. So he's like, let me put this little compression patch on there, like patch me up immediately, felt relief. It was Sally's like, I'm giving you this to go home. I say we'll check it out tomorrow in New York because we're it was a getaway day. <laughs> so we're going to New York the next day. So as the game wore on, like they're still playing it up and I'm I'm like legitimately hurting. And these guys are having fun. And I think it was Will who was in the booth. He was like, oh, just put some water on it, you know, dust it off. Like, no, dude, yeah. this thing hurt like hell. Fighting right. for my life over here. Dude, exactly. So so then. After the game, it was really like it was like I couldn't breathe barely. And I was like, dang, I think I might have broken a rib. So then everybody's checking up on me. They're like, we want you to get checked out tomorrow in New York or whatever. So they had set it up where I was going to see the Yankees doctors got over there. They did x-rays on me, dude, like legitimately during the game. Like I got up second inning. I did one hit. They're like, all right, go get checked out. Second inning. I was in there for like three innings. And this is the time after they had come back from L.A. like a couple weeks before. So Aaron Judge had the, the toe situation. Mm. So the doctor 
he was like, all right, we somebody's in our x-ray room, just one of our guys or whatever, just wait right here in the hallway. And I'm like, who could this be, you know? So he's like, it's just one of our guys. He tried to write downplay it. So then Aaron comes out of the thing and he's like, you know, the, the windowsill's right here, the, the doorway. <laughs> so he's like, I'm looking up and I'm like, dude, what's up, Aaron? He's like, oh, what's up, man? What's going on? I heard you guys smoked. I'm like, oh, dude, news travels fast. Gosh. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, Devers got me in Cleveland. He's like, yeah, you got to watch out, man. So as he's limping back to the thing, whatever. So quick chat with him and then he goes off. Then I go in there, get x-rayed. And I think they were trying to like feel me out. Like, is this guy cool? Whatever. Like, he's from the other side. Like, is he good? Yeah. But like, they saw me talk to him and like have a conversation like a normal person. And they're like, all right. They kind of relaxed after that because the whole staff was, it felt like they're on high alert that I was in the clubhouse, in the Yankees clubhouse during the game or whatever. So then I go to the x ray table, check me out. They're like, x ray is negative, but you know, it could be some hairline fractures. We just can't see that on our thing. But you know, even if you did break it, like there's nothing we could do as long as it's not puncturing your lung or into your heart or something. You don't got any bone chip like that's basically what you can do. So it probably hurt for like another two and a half weeks after that. And guys were trying to play it up and, you know, they were messing with me the whole time on the telecast. And then Devers even I told him afterwards because I still have I still have the ball, by the way. I need him to sign that thing for me. And I'm like, bro, you got to sign this for me. He's like, yeah, OK. I'm like, no, it hurt. He's like, oh, yeah, you're all right, bro. Now you know how it is. I'm like, no, but I don't get paid millions to do this, bro. And I'm like, not I'm only that, you, you got hit with a batted baseball. Like, no one is standing in the butt exactly. getting smoked by 110. Like, that, that's that what I told exist. him. I said, ain't nobody throwing it that fast, bro. Even if I was 20 yards away, whatever. Like, that thing came in there hot. So he, he had a good time messing with me about it. But nobody had sympathy, which is crazy. On the team, none of the guys, not the one of them. The broadcast booth, man, the laugh dude. they were getting. I'm sitting dude. there, I'm like, dude, if I'm I took you. that, I might have died. Yeah, that dude, would have been I the swear. end of me. You showed me it. That first game in the yeah. home stand. You right, yeah. Back, I, I saw showed you. you. Pulled my shirt up. Yeah, you Had a bruise. Had a whole bruise there. Yeah. And I'm dark. Yeah. Look at me, bro. I'm dark. <laughs> I am a dark black man. <laughs> and that bruise showed up. It so did. I'm like, come on. Do you have a picture of like how bad it looked at the worst? I think I do. I think I do. Did you tweet out it? in the archives? Yeah, you get you got to find a picture because I saw it. I mean, that must have been at that point. I wouldn't say a week later, but close to a week. Might have been. Might have been because I think that was like a three city trip, and I, I think New York might have been just our second stop. It could have been our our way home actually, but yeah, it might have been at least a week when I when you saw it. But yeah, like a couple of days later, it was the worst. Or I was still icing it and like taking care of it. Right. Like when it's it was one of those bruises that when you look at it for the first time, you're not expecting it. And then when you see it, you can like feel pain. Yeah. <laughs> you can exactly. feel pain by looking at it. Yeah. And then just like sleeping, it was uncomfortable. You yeah. know, I roll over and it'd be like like and then Will, um, <laughs> both Wills, Lou, they see me poking at me. It's like, dude, oh. like this hurts, bro. Like, stop. It hurts. So it was one of those things where they thought I was being soft, but I was like, no, man, like legit. Like I got a pretty solid pain threshold. Like I've broken yeah. bones. I've done that. Like this hurt like hell and yeah, it hurt for a week. Solid. The other thing, Jamai, I wanted to ask, and this is something I've noticed. I think over the years it happens with a lot of sideline reporters. Your fashion game, yeah. suit game, it's yeah. strong. Mm. What is the inspiration behind it? And what were, you know, kind of your come up on that side so that, you know, people started noticing what was up. I mean, it started way back when with Deion Sanders saying, you know, you look good, you play good, you play good, you feel good. So that's like the foundation of it all. 
But then like setting the bar was like Craig Sager dressing up with all kind of loud suits in the NBA side and just like a man in a suit. Like I, I love how like women always gave me positive responses when they see you dressed up in a suit, whatever. So that was like one of those things where you always want to be buttoned up to the nines. And like I like suits and the fact that, you know, I'm getting hooked up with some of these and I could kind of create whatever I see. Like I got fabric at the time, I think too early on, we had a deal with Joseph Abood. So I would literally go to the factory um, down there in uh, New Bedford. So I would like pick out literally the cloth and be like, this is what I want. Let me make this into a suit. So it started from that. And I just. I got a little bit more crazy, you know, as as uh, as the years have gone on. And I was like, this will look dope. And I, I think this is something that will go good together. So it's one of those things where I like to just to dress nice and and, uh, and and being in that role. Like, it's great to kind of break the ice with a lot of guys, too, because they recognize it. Pablo Reyes was always like a fashion critique on me. He'd be in the, the guy be like, oh. Okay, yeah, you, got to you got that fire puppy, and I'm like, yeah, bro, you already know, yeah, yeah, saw it. What do you think the numbers at? How many suits you got? Oh man, I could wear a different one for like I can go a whole month and wear it. You wouldn't see the same suit twice. Wow. So at Baller. least thirty. It's a flex. Yeah, at least thirty just off the top. But and then you think about I don't. There's like this one meme going around where Steve Harvey is like, you got to get a blue suit, you got to get yeah. a black suit, you got a brown suit. Those suits turned into this suit. You, so if I did that combination, I mean, it'd be, it'd be crazy, bro. It's probably go up to hundred or something, but it's it's ridiculous. Like my wife is killing me because I'm taking up all the space in the closet with all my suits. <laughs> uh, the last thing you mentioned it slightly earlier, the whole experience with uh, the ball getting thrown back on the field on Father's mm-hmm. Day and all that playing out. Is that your wildest moment with a fan? Because you're in it. Like, I respect that you're working the crowd. You're talking to people. Yeah. You know, you're going to interview certain players, family or whatever. Was that your wildest experience at Fenway or just dealing with fans in general? Last season? Yeah, for sure. 100%. That was one of those things where, like, after it happened, like, I did not understand the magnitude of it. Um, shout out to our boy Gary Strysky, too, because it even ended up on Sports Center that morning. Yeah. He was like, Jamai. And then my man, Michael Eves, who works for Sports Center too, he shouted me out. With the ball, so like it got that national play, and the MLB Network picked it up, even to the point where I think we were in Minnesota, like later that year, maybe a couple of weeks later, and like they they run all these bloopers and things about that happened in ballparks, and they ran this video, and I'm sitting right there, like <laughs> this is crazy. So it was like this whole big thing, and then I got texts from people afterwards, like, oh, that was super dope, that was a crazy moment, that was amazing. So that was probably one of the highlights for me because. It ended up being a great story and like it got so much play, even in local news, like people were hitting me up to try and track down the family. I was like, I don't know. I just kind of went up there and talked to him like in the moment. Like I didn't say, hey, let's stay in touch. Let me get your email. So uh, one station here locally, they're like, can you get in contact with the family? I'm like, no, I know nothing <laughs> about them. So like good luck with that. But they actually were able to track them down and they got in touch with them. And then DMAC wanted to get in touch with them later. He invited them to a Wu Sox game. And it became this great big story and and uh, lost in all that, by the way, the guy who gave the kid the ball was a neighbor and I forget his name, but I'm going to make good on this because it's been one of those things that I have like through the season and just got lost in translation. But his brother actually wrote me a handwritten note and was like, hey, my brother wouldn't do this, but like 
he was the guy who gave the kid the ball. Like he got nothing from it. I just feel like, you know, he's a good dude. Yada, yada, yada. Like if you could do anything for him, that'd be great. So I'm going to do something for him. I'm going to give him a bat. Uh, and what I was going to do is try to get everybody to sign it. Who's like on our broadcast and uh, who's who's part of our our our, uh, our baseball group, like, you know, Jim and all those guys. And I'm going to I'm going to mail it to the guy. So it's it's on my list of things to do, but I got to wait till I see these guys. But um, that was probably one of the highlights. And then, you know, Kenley obviously coming through and making it happen. Like we were going to do something on our own, but he was in the clubhouse watching and, you know, he talking to him after he was like, yeah, you know, as a dad, I just felt bad. Like it was the dad handles it great. Like as a father of three kids now, I'm like, I don't know if I would have handled it that great. <laughs> like dude was on out. regional television, like young, young cat was spazzing, man. I would have been like, man, you better get yourself together. And he was just like super calm, super chill, like new age parenting. Like it's okay. <laughs> and, uh, and the way he handled it was like exceptional. So I'm not sure I would have been the same way, but uh, that was also kind of part of the feel good story. And it, like I said, it got picked up nationally. Like I think CBS News ran like a, a thing on it later. Like it hit one of their their uh, their shows as well. So it was it was it was pretty big. Well, I, I work at sports radio. We did legit 45 minutes. And <laughs> trust me, it's not the easiest thing for us to get into, you know, long talk of baseball and all right. these things. But people were calling in. They were like, did you guys see that? Can, like, do you know the family? Can we make a connection? So it, it made its impact on the people. Yeah. That, yeah, that was that was one of the highlights. That was highlights of uh, last season for sure. Uh, and before we return you to your family, we uh, we bring in the closer with the last question. Uh, that is Jake, who hasn't said a word since you've been on. Uh, <laughs> but he will he will close this out for us. He's been enthralled in the conversation, just flying <laughs> yeah. on the wall. Uh, yeah. Jake? It's been a great convo. Um, <laughs> Jemiah, I really loved your uh, Clark's Ketchup Series MVP picks this year. Just wanted to know what your experience was like uh, first year on the panel. First year on the panel. You know, I, I'd like to say I came in as a, a wide-eyed, bushy-tailed rookie with the Clark's Ketchup, really, really trying to find my footing. And I always try to... Uh, you know, kind of the same approach that I was telling you guys earlier about my reporting and like the style where I try to find the things that are below the surface. I saw always, always trying the unsung hero, like the guy who maybe moved the guy over. And that was my MVP for a series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I kind of started to go more chalk, I guess, as the season had gone on. But uh, it was great. And a lot of lot there's a lot of text reminders from Jared, like, hey, who you got? <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, I forgot. I gotta get my pick in. There's a few mm-hmm. times where I beat him to it, but mm-hmm. uh hopefully I get better next year and uh and I'm able to to do a lot more of those series wins because man, we need it. We need it after the two years we've had to endure under this uh this Red Sox tenure. So hopefully a lot more series wins, a lot more uh MVPs of series to pick. And uh, but it was great. A lot of a lot of my picks were Tristan Casas when he was healthy. Mm-hmm. Justin Turner made it quite a bit. Um, I think even one time, maybe once or maybe even twice, I picked the bullpen. Um, yeah, for a series victory. But uh, you know, I'm 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 optimistic. Like I said, I'm 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 always trying to see things as a glass half full. So I'm hoping uh, a lot more MVPs, a lot more good moments coming into to 2024. This this Red Sox team. So still a lot of offseason left to make some more splashes. I love that. I love that outlook because that's, uh, you know, before you came on, that's kind of what I was trying to say was like, you can be frustrated right now, but like a lot of those names, if you came into this offseason looking to have a big winter, a lot of those names are still out there. And you may say, well, like, what are your, like, how do you feel about their chances of signing those players? You may say, all right, I don't feel great about it. Okay, but they're still out there. 
It's right. it can still happen. There's still two out months. there. Still it's two months pull pitchers and catchers report. Yep, yep, exactly. So they get, they certainly got the capital to sign <clears> at sure. least one of them for you know the big two hundred million dollar deal. So I like to see it happen. Same. Um, all right, Jemai Webster, are you going to be at a uh, uh, winter weekend? Oh yeah, oh yeah, man. I wouldn't be anywhere else. That's that's where I got your autograph last year. <laughs> that's true. After all those years, man. Come yeah. on, you got to return the favor for me now. I know. I, I have mean, a I have a signed Jemai Webster headshot that I got at Red Sox Winter Weekend last year. It's in my kitchen downstairs. Wow. Still have it. Yep. It's got a premiere spot. I I I said earlier, I'm not sure if I'm gonna go. Really? I, yeah, I'm not sure. If I'm not part of it, if I'm not part of it and they don't make a big move, I don't think I can subject myself to all the questioning of like, wow. why aren't they doing anything? I mean, yeah. to your credit, to your credit, uh, exceptional job last year. Thank I you. mean, you, you were the voice of the fan base. I know some people came at you like you did softballs, but I mean, you're putting a very tough spot and you delivered. I will say yeah. that. man. It's not easy to sit there across from John Henry and be like, hey, do you still care about the team? <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't know how many people are doing that, but you know, it, it was, it was definitely a cool experience. I just don't know that, like, if if I'm not a part of it, I don't know that I want to just walk around a bunch of angry Red Sox fans. Yeah. Well, hopefully they give you reason to come, even if you're not a part of it. But I think this is just me. I haven't heard anything. I'm pretty sure you you, you might be another intricate piece uh, oh. to our to our winter weekend puzzle uh, oh. as the year as the planning oh. comes out. So just oh. be on high alert. Okay. Keep refreshing that email. I'll be right. I'll be right by my phone. I'll be. Yeah. Uh, I'll be waiting to hear. So and then we'll, you know, I, like you're going to return the favor this year. I, I'm going to have something hopefully from you autographed to add to my collection, my small collection over here, and it's got to say former MLB pitcher Jared Roberts. <laughs> yeah. So please, yeah. Please I have. Add that. Uh, I'll. You know what? I have. I have tops baseball cards. They gave Ooh. me an Allen and Ginter card in 2020, and then they gave me like a box of them. I need so it. I, yeah, I'll, I'll, I need I'll it. sign it. Former MLB pitcher Jared Carabas to Jemai Webster and put it right there. You can have it. Let's put go. It right Let's go, man. Done. I'm deal. hyped. I'm ready. Right. <laughs> sounds like sounds like I'll see you in a month, maybe. Yeah, won't be soon enough, my friend. I'll tell you that right now. I love that. I love hey, that. maybe I'll get up to Saugus though. I mean, come on by. I, I want to go up to Kowloon, but it's get, it's gotten a little, you know, people a little That's rough it. around there these days, huh? They are, but like if you're with me, it's it's a okay. different dining experience. Okay, yeah, I think like, that's what I want my first experience there to be. Then, yeah, I want like to go up there with you. Maybe we do a lunch before the riffraff gets in there at night. Right, and then also, <laughs> so n- people don't know about this, or maybe they do. Uh, the Rock has his own table at Kowloon because really? his wife is from Linfield which is oh. a town over from Saugus. So he comes back here and he'll slide in the back door like pretty often, but like, it's not like announced. He'll just like go in there. Yeah. Um, so I mean, you got you got there. You know who sits at that table? <laughs> Me and Jemai Webster. Okay. It's at that table. I need it. I need it. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe they'll let us in with the rock. You know, you got, you got some insight. The owner might slide you a text like, Hey, Dwayne's here tonight. Yeah. And you, call, you send me a text. We pull mm-hmm. up. Either that or he like the rock probably is just going to DM me on Instagram and be like, hey, like seen you seen you in some tight shirts <laughs> looking for some workout tips. Maybe we can get some Kowloon, hit the gym. And and I would love to do that. I mean, you work out too, Jemai. I do, man. Although I've fallen off, man, this offseason. But by the time you see me in a month, hopefully I'm back to, you know, my fighting weight. Done. 
<laughs> Done deal. Yeah. For my Webster, Nesson, you know him, you love him. Follow him on Twitter. Follow him on Instagram. And you know what? You when we uh, when we post this episode, we're gonna need, we're gonna need a picture of that bruise. Oh yeah, I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to find it in the archives. <laughs> yeah, make a mental note here. Done. All right. Thank you so much. All right, fellas, it's been a blast. Buenas noches, amigos.